It all started after you lost the WWF title. You didn't live up to your end of the day. I'm not going to live up to mine. My life has been a living hell. You violated me, Austin. You violated me. As much humiliation about I suffered, hope you're real proud. You're going to suffer more. The Undertaker and Kane. You two are going to battle it You're going to Federation champion and humble yourself before me, I will fire your ass. I promise I you. Guarantee I will fire your ass. The unholy shall stand before him, and the wicked will be humbled at his feet. For judgment day is upon us. It's finally time. Oh man's waited for 40 episodes, and he's finally got a Val Venus bit of action. I, I will say, actually, and I need to say this in regards to the opening video package as well. Um, I was watching this yesterday and with my wife, and I was like, it's old man's favorite wrestler. And she was like, oh, yeah, okay. I was like, he's a porn star. And she went, oh. <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> oh, gross. And then she was like, why is he wearing a towel? And I was like, he's a porn star, isn't he? That's why he's wearing a towel. And she was like, oh, is that a thing? And I was like, I, I don't know. I assume so. They've never quite explained the use of the towel before. Um, well, it's sexy, isn't it? Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today on the pod we will be bringing you part one of a kind of double header. And without being too cryptic, more on that later. As per usual, I am joined by Sam Carey, or the GOAT as he is sometimes known. And when I say GOAT, I obviously mean gross old awful pervert. Welcome to the show, (laughs) old man. See, that fits better than last week's, doesn't it? That's lovely. And you know what? I have absolutely no comeback from it because it is true. <laughs> old awful pervert, lovely. Yeah, <laughs> and, and also... gross, no, gross as well. Let's not forget that. <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry. And also with us, fresh off the annual general meeting of the official Chavo Guerrero Junior fan club, is Tom Smith. In truth, Tom is the only member of the club, and yet somehow he still managed to miss out on the vote to decide club president. Tom, how are you? <laughs> I tell you, it was a tough race. It was a tough. It was a tough race. As I said, one by one by default. Do you know these these things happen sometimes? The problem is, it's not that I'm the only member. It's that I don't deem anybody to have the, the love that I, I have for Chavo <laughs> to be worthy of being in the team. So there you go. It's just a tough, you know, it's a tough line to draw. But someone had to do it, and I did it, and it was good. As always, I will make my obligatory plea to you, our listener, to join us on our social media channels at RWRPodUK on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, if you're that way inclined, we could always do with more reviews wherever it is you get your podcasts. Now, today, this is the first of a doubleheader, and we, oh, we've got a guest on the podcast coming up here. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. We've got Shinsuke Nakamura coming on the podcast. Yeah. How's Shinsuke, Tom? I'll let her, t- I'll let her say for herself. Just let her get quick and sorry. I tricked you with the fucking headphone one, didn't I, babe? Yeah, she's just hanging out for a little bit. If she's got any insight, she'll let us know. It won't be for very long, though, I don't think. Oh, well. Won't it be, <laughs> That's it now. None of us are going to be able to function. We got, we've got the cutest <laughs> member of the team. It's, it's arrived, and that's it. Yeah, she's got more hair than old man. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, some hair is more. <laughs> My uh, my perineum's got more hair than my head. 
<laughs> covered covered up by your always reliable gusset. <laughs> Correct. And uh, by sometimes reliable box assurance. <laughs> so, so, yes, as I said, we are kind of starting on a double header today. Um, now, I will get to what next week's episode is going to be at the end of the episode. So we'll reveal that. But this is kind <gasps> of the beginning. And today we're covering Judgment Day in Your House from WWE. Can be known by lots of different things because it's also the 25th edition of In Your House. WWE themselves call it Judgment Day 1998. And uh, Old Man is now kind of of scrambling around his notes i i don't know if he's watched the right show have we got a have we got an outlier here old man no no we're all right i'm just trying to decipher your message about the double show and i'll mm. be honest i just looked at the schedule and i still can't figure out so i'm i'm as excited as the as the listener probably what? is who knows Finsky? who knows <laughs> <laughs> that's been that's the highlight of the podcast already <laughs> so uh yes so this was as a oh there we go what was that what was that uh Shinsuke? Oh, she she said that Cody Rhodes is overrated. Oh, she knows. She knows. Very good. Not relevant to this podcast, though. So, um, you know, yeah, go on. Pay attention. <laughs> so, yes, Judgment Day uh, in your house or Judgment Day 1998 or whatever you want to call it. Um, our thoughts, our expectations going in. Why don't we start with you, old man? Well, I had during the first lockdown, I had a little run of watching the 98 and 99 pay-per-view. So I watched this not long ago. Mm. And I must say... I remembered absolutely zero about it, apart from the end, which I wasn't certain was this show. But uh, I'll be honest, I wasn't overly excited because the fact that I couldn't remember anything <laughs> did make me think, it's like, oh, is this going to be a bit of shite? But my eyes and my legs were open. As ever. <laughs> Tom, your thoughts, your expectations. I- so my expectations were quite high. It's obviously a time uh, that I would have def- definitely been watching regularly and, and absolutely loving it. Um, definitely would have watched, you know, a lot of this era with, with you two lads as well. And yes, yeah, so I was going to have the nostalgia, but obviously this is quite a revered time in, in professional wrestling, obviously, especially with WF, especially with the emergence of The Rock and the, the white hot Stone Cold Steve Austin. So I'm very, I was very much looking forward to watching it. And that's definitely something I've not gone back and watched again since. It's not, not one of those pay-per-views that you, you will rewatch like other pay-per-views of the same time, such as like the Survivor Series Deadly Game with the King of the Ring 98, which have got those iconic moments in it. But it's something that I was very much, I was King of the Ring 99, actually, isn't it? With the, I was actually thinking of when uh, Mick Frodo gets thrown off the top of the cage. But you know what I mean. No, it's 98. Um, it's 98. Oh, I was right in the first place. Fuck me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's just something I was quite quite looking forward to. I was quite looking forward to it, is, is my roundabout way of saying it. <laughs> I think uh, Tom needs some more coffee. He's uh, clearly been up all night looking after Shinsuke, and uh, it's getting to him. <laughs> I must have I'm very tired. <laughs> For my part, so it's interesting to me, Tom, that you've never watched this again because you recorded this for me off television. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> it was, I don't know if you remember, you probably don't remember because I obviously remember just because I've watched it a number of times, but I had a VHS that was on long play and it <sighs> had In Your House Breakdown in the first bit, mm. then it had two episodes of Celebrity Deathmatch, and then it had Judgment Day In Your House on the second half of the, the video. So basically the September and October pay-per-views of this year back to back with a couple of celebrity deathmatch episodes in the middle and That's so beautiful. I, it is it's wonderful i wish i kept it i you know you know threw it out i'm sure i threw it away 15 years ago or so but uh i therefore have watched this show a lot i have seen this show a number of times and so unlike old man i've remembered everything that was on the show <laughs> um i was looking forward to it in the sense of as you say tom we were kind of what 13 14 at the time and so we, and we were like obviously at school and wrestling wasn't yet in britain anyway massive it hadn't quite got there yet it was a couple of years later that everyone went mental for it 
at this point, there were still just a few hardy souls that had managed to survive through the mid-90s who were still kind of watching it. And wrestling was just getting super hot everywhere else, basically, in America. And I think my it's the beginning. These probably these that September and October preview are really the beginning of my three-year period of peak viewing of WWE, I think. It would have been just after you got Sky tom um yeah. not long before that you'd got cable so we'd watched our first episode of nitro which we've spoken about before and then we were starting to be able to watch the show regularly which i'd never been able to do before because i had yeah. always watched it through pay-per-views for vhs's through the magazines you know and that's how i'd kept my interest in it and when you say pay-per-views you mean buying the pay-per-view I mean, on video, yeah, on video, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or waiting for months after it come out, or someone, yeah. had, some some kind soul in school had recorded it. Yeah, exactly. So I think, like, I saw, for example, I think I watched WrestleMania 12 on a recorded VHS where the sound wasn't working, so I was on silent Beautiful. all the way through. So yeah, so this was like quite a big point for me. So I was quite looking forward to watching uh, to watching this again. Okay, so let's dive into the show, shall we? Um, because I haven't the second time in a week I haven't got my notes in front of me ready to go just gonna open my little book with all my notes <laughs> I've just club, mate join the club is cozy just just for your benefit I, I've got my last notebook in front of me and it is now full of notes is from it? the previous oh, so you, actually, you actually physically write them down rather than yeah yeah on a laptop so then I find it easier to watch on the tv and I find it easier to then write rather than type when I'm sat down on the sofa <laughs> see, see I would do that but then I would not be able to read my notes <laughs> well it does get a trouble sometimes as you've probably seen luckily i've edited most of that crap out but sometimes it does become a problem when i'm trying to recap the, the matches so yeah there's not much of a huge intro to this we're almost immediately straight into the action we obviously get the opening video package to start us off which basically has the line judgment day is upon us said a number of times is this uh freddie blassie doing the voiceover it is freddie blassie doing the Beautiful voiceover stuff. absolutely and we also get to see Vincent Mann's weird middle finger as well that he does when he's yeah. holding the belt after Austin's lost it at the uh, previous pay-per-view. Yeah, well, that's pre- right. When yeah. he's lost it, it's weird. It's, it's mine after him. <sighs> I know you can <laughs> listen to this, but, you know, you know, if you know what I mean, then you yeah. know what I mean. Oh, man, did you, when you were watching these run of pay-per-views, I'm assuming you just watched the pay-per-views. Yes, I did, yeah. Interesting. I don't think that's the best way to watch 1998, Wolf. Uh, uh, well, to be honest, I think we'll probably get into this. Yeah, right, as, the, as the show goes on, because that is a uh, that's an error. That's an error on my part. <laughs> I'll flog myself for it later. So our opening match of the night is Al Snow against Mark Mero. Now the match is a seven-minute match, and it ends when Snow reverses uh, Mark Mero TKO into a snowplow and gets the pin. Tom, let's start with your thoughts on this one. I'm not going to lie. My early enthusiasm was very quickly dampened at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so so it kind of starts off. Arsenal comes out and he's having a lovely time. Then Mark Merrow comes out. And then inexplicably, out comes Jeff Jarrett, seemingly wanting to have a fight with Arsenal. And then we were told that something may have happened on Heat or a previous episode of Raw. And that's where I'm thinking to myself, there's going to be a lot of backfilling needing to be done uh, during this pay-per-view. And then that's it for Jeff Jarrett. That's it. He's told to fuck off. And then he makes no more appearances through the entire entire match or even pay-per-view i know they made the most of him didn't they that was yeah. exactly what they oh. should be doing <laughs> yeah exactly it's, that weird. There. it's just weird like now presumably the storyline between al snow and jeff jarrett continues but i was like why why is he having a match with mike marrow and not jeff jarrett at this stage because there doesn't appear to be any storyline going into it and so it's just a bit of a nothing match they're both to be fair to al snow and mike marrow they're both pretty decent 
decent in-ring hands and this is to be honest exactly where they should be you know they're, they're never going to be main eventers they're never going to be a, a big deal particularly but they're just two guys that can put on a, a semi-decent match that no one cares about now as we've discussed before the importance of the opening match has become like a bit of a thing or something that we, we've mm. all kind of noticed and i would have liked a little bit more i don't know a little bit more pizzazz to this a little bit more intensity a little bit more a little bit more high high impact moves but it, it's all right um there's a couple of bits in it that, that picked that, that stuck out to me. I love though Mark Mara kept on getting distracted by head and having to go at it. Which yeah. would and I'd forgotten. Again, we've said this before. You can give anybody a shit gimmick, but as long as they're into it and they play up to it, then it makes it great. And that's what Al Snow is. Now I know Al Snow that the head gimmick was something that was he kind of created in, in ECW, but it is so fucking daft. But it's also so entertaining as well. There is a low blow. That uh, that Mark Merrow gets hit with uh, by by no Merrow hits Al Snow with a low blow, and it is just literally just a graze. And I thought that looks pathetic. There's no way that would send it down. And then I remembered a graze to the bollock is mm. is almost as bad as a full whack as well. Yeah. So I'm going to put that down to some incredible in ring psychology from Al Snow <laughs> to sell that that pathetic tap. Because I'll be honest, we've all had a little graze and been like, oof, taking a couple of steps and then gone fucking hell and had to double over and catch our breath so that's that and the other just the, the final thing i wanted to kind of say about the the move the, the matches is also those finishers pretty fucking savage that that finisher it's like a like a michinoku driver come brain buster and it looks fucking savage and um I'm, and i'm glad that uh that there wasn't any false finishes or any of that nonsense because it looks like an absolute killer of a move and i'm glad uh, i'm glad mark murray didn't kick out from it but that's my thoughts on the match okay i'll never watch it again well, yeah. oh man, Will, because this is the second time he's watched it in a few months. <laughs> I, this was just... I think Tommy's hit the nerve on the head, where I think this is the opener. I know a lot of people on the 98 roster, like we all do. Why have they got these two bloody slags opening it up? I don't, in these two guys, in a match that doesn't mean anything. I, I really didn't understand. I also I'm really disappointed with Mark Marrow. We've watched him have some matches in WCW where he's really good, really solid worker. And it feels like he's very much going through the motions here. And I kind of struggled past that. So I was like, come on, Mark, you're better than that. He's better than that, I think. Al Snow is wearing clothes tight enough that we can see his gusset and his bollocks <laughs> and his penis. We we could see his snowplow before he in the moon. But I don't really know what to add to Tommy because it's just fine. It was not particularly exciting. It lasted seven minutes. I did feel, like I said, it was a real step down from Mark Merrow. I feel like he's really, he's disappointed himself here. He's disappointed me. But you move on, don't you? You know that there's going to be something better on this card, or at least you hope there will be. So I can kind of suffer it. But this isn't the best way to kick off a pay-per-view. The best thing about it was Jeff Jarrett being told to fuck off. (laughs) <laughs> that's the best event show the old man so fair. Uh, you know what's most disappointing to me about this match is not the match itself but the fact that tom or you, you old man didn't mention mark marrow pulling his his shorts up oh, to, to the middle yeah. of his chest oh, <laughs> he does it i've noticed he does it before he does it twice in the match and he does it both before he comes off the top and i'm wondering whether it's just a safety measure but he's turned it into something that is quite funny because he kind of holds his arms out at like right angles to his shoulders <laughs> and to make himself look like he's trying to pose whilst doing it it's, it's phenomenal it's magnificent stuff <laughs> i missed that that's annoying 
Oh, mate, you got to go back and watch it for that. And then you will have watched it twice. I, I thought the match was perfectly fine. But you met, you said a word that I think is absolutely the the main thing here, Tom, which is they just lack intensity. There's just no intensity in the match at all. They're running through moves. They're doing them all perfectly well. And there's some, there's some nice moves in there. The word I was just talking about are my notebook. The word I've got most written down in my notebook for this show is DDT because there are about a There's thousand loads, yeah. On the show. It's a very heavily used move in this in this show, uh, but it's it's decent. Mero hits a couple of I think there's a couple of moonsaults in this match. There's an inziguri, there's DDTs, there's all kinds of stuff. It's perfectly decent, and as you said, the snowplow always loved the snowplow. Great great move to end it. So I thought it was fine. It, but you're right, lack of intensity and just a lack of reason for it to happen on a pay-per-view as well, which I think is, I just think is lazy. Every match on a pay-per-view, it shouldn't be difficult with the amount of television time they've got. They should, it shouldn't be difficult to have some some reason for every single match to happen. Mm, Not necessarily, doesn't necessarily have to be a personal feud. It could just be, you know, for a number one contendership or for a title or something, but they should all be a for, for some reason or about something and this just isn't and therefore it's a, it is pretty much forgettable but it you know I, I think it's an all right match so next up we get footage of austin arriving at the building and being confronted by briscoe patterson and sergeant slaughter who send him to the referee's dressing room which appears to be simply a janitor's closet <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> and is it yeah. in there getting ready and gets shoved out by austin yeah, <laughs> Fuck off, yeah it's, mate. A, it's amazing although come on have some respect austin for your colleagues. Well, I thought that. He don't come across great, yeah, Austin. Because <laughs> also he thinks, like, like you said, the referees are beneath him. Also, um, what was confusing to me is that he goes to walk up to what you assume is the locker room area. It must be the most narrow staircase I've ever seen. <laughs> like, he's obviously a big old unit, Austin. He barely fits up there. I can't imagine Mark Henry getting up there. <laughs> Oiling himself up. He'd have to oil himself up to get up the steps. Just he would. Take a oh, lovely. Do, do, do you reckon there was a wrestler who was appointed chief oiler for the night for Mark Jeff, Henry to get up and down there? Jeff Jarrett. That's why he had to be sent back <laughs> to start the show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they were like, fuck off. Get back and oil that Mark Henry. He's like, he's, oh, oh do, I have to, do I have to? He's so massive. Fuck it takes off. ages. <laughs> it's absolutely ages. And that, and that gusset. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, make sure you get in that fucking gusset, Jarrett. We've told you before. He chafes. <laughs> Match number two is a six-man tag match that we're all delighted about. It's oh, the fuck disciples off. of Apocalypse, <laughs> Skull, Eightball, and Paul Ellering against the Legion of Doom, which is Animal Hawk and Droz. Uh, this one is five minutes long and ends when, after the match breaks down, the Legion of Doom hit the Doomsday device, but Droz then comes in and takes the pin to get the victory for the team. And after the match, Hawk looks annoyed with Droz, but we don't see... <laughs> this is, we don't see anything else about this. This is obviously building something in the future. Uh, old I'd, Matt, think he might, I'd think he might have been confused. So th- this gets off on a bad footing. Hawk and Animal have both got hair, like proper hair. Yeah, so this is and, Legion of Doom 2000. You should. Yeah, you should and they both look like they've just got out of bed <laughs> with how their hair is. Tell you um, what, I tell you what. First of all, it makes them completely indistinguishable from each other. I have no idea yes. which one's which. And secondly, yeah. they look like the bushwhackers as a consequence. Oh yeah, they do. Uh, thankfully, they weren't licking each other and/or draws or Mark Henry's gusset. <laughs> this match basically consists of Jerry Lawler calling Hawk the alternate because Hawk's, as they obviously say, he's come back after having a painkiller addiction, and I must say he looks in awful shape. 
Right. <laughs> he, he doesn't. Evidently <laughs> a man looking in terrible shape has got Tommy going. And this match is just not very good. I'll be honest, this isn't six guys. In 1998, I want to watch Wrestle. This is not not anything I'm looking forward to. Draws, he's not doing his puke gimmick. So what's the point? Like, what's what's the point? He's gonna, he's gonna puke. That's what we want from Draws. Paul Ellering, he is in fantastic shape. I don't know how old he is, mind. I've always just assumed he's like 50, but he's probably not as old as that and now older as time works. But he gets in the ring, just has a few kicks on Draws. Oddly, pulls up one trouser leg, the leg that he's going to kick him with, and that's it. And then he ro- ro- rolls out the rain. <laughs> hey, that's a devastating uh, shit, that is. Yeah. That's sweet well, shit but, music, I tell you now. Oh, lovely. Well, perhaps he was looking for uh, Jeff Jarrett to, to, to oil it up. Oh, come on, mate, I've got some bloody chief in here. Uh, there's a man in Brislington, actually, who's got, uh, who's got some incredibly dry skin on his legs. Who just walks around just like dusting them off Ugh. pretty much everywhere he goes. Yeah, pretty rancid. This match is crap, let's be honest. But it's five minutes. The trouble with it is the end. Draws does the cover. He's not the legal man. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that you've got this match, which is um, Legion of Doom, 10 years at least past their best. And let's be honest, their best wasn't that great. Plus Draws, plus Disciples of Apocalypse. And then Paul Ellering, who hasn't wrestled in about 10 years. And your biggest problem with it is the end where Draws is not the yeah. legal man. <laughs> because we've discussed how crap DOA are. We've discussed how buying average Legion of Doom are. I don't need to cover that ground. But what I do need to cover is poor officiating. And I don't know if this is Mike Kyoda, but if it was, I'm bloody glad that Austin lobbed him out of the uh, changing room. Well, to be fair, what? he probably hadn't finished his mental prep for the match. Austin had ruined that. If he had another couple of seconds to compose himself, he wouldn't have made that <laughs> error. Austin screwed Kyoda. If we ever go to a live event again, that sign's going up. Austin screwed Kyoda. <laughs> Terrible ending. Felt bad for Hulk. That's it. Tom. So, mm, right. None of my notes have got any kind of any kind of anything different. Other than the fact that, and not only do I not care for um, Legion of Doom's hair, but I also don't care for their music either. Because their music originally was amazing. They'd obviously changed it to, you know, go with the LOD 2000 gimmick, but it's rubbish. Not only is Hawk in bad shape, Animal's in pretty bad shape as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit. So I think I said this before. I can't remember what podcast we said. In. I think the, 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 the hardest thing I think about being a professional wrestler is having to get up so quickly. Because I can imagine you sell, you take your back bump and then you've got to get back up again, especially if you're like, I don't know, coming in uh, to face someone who's just had a hot tag and you're getting punched and falling to the ground and getting back up again quickly. I imagine that must be so exhausting. And evidently Animal finds that quite tiring because there's a bit where he whips one of the boldies into the rope, <laughs> drops down onto his stomach um, so the boldy can run over him, starts to get up and then drops into his stomach again so boldy can run over again because he's evidently not getting up in time. <laughs> and I was like, do you know what? That's what I'd, I'd end up spending the entire match just laying on the floor while someone ran over me. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, oh, God, it must be so tiring. Um, but yeah, it is. It's, it's a really shit match. Like, like I, I was already a little bit, a, a little bit like eh, after the first match, it wasn't really the most exciting match, and then I get served up this, and I'm like, oh, okay, well at least there are motorbikes at the beginning, I suppose, that's something. <laughs> but yeah, we've discussed the Cypress of Apocalypse before. Well, no, we haven't actually. You guys have, and I mm-hmm. listened to it and enjoyed it, and they are rubbish. Don't know, like Paul Ellering's a weird one because he just seems to turn up every now and again, doesn't he? 
and everyone's like, oh, it's Paul Ellering. Cause what, so he, yeah. was with them, he was with them in like the NWA, wasn't he? And then he wasn't for ages until like SummerSlam 92 when he came down with that stupid dummy on the front. And then he presumably came back for this little bit. And then he went in for ages until he suddenly rocked up with the authors of pain in NXT. Mm. Like a really strange, like it's just a really, I wonder what it is. I wonder what the, his relationship with, with WWE is because like, he just seems to turn up every now and again for, for no real apparent reason, sticks around for a little bit and then fucks off again. It's, it's really odd. He doesn't seem to have, and he doesn't, he only seems to manage tag teams and slightly bikery ones. Well, he, um, he's the tag team specialist. That's what they said when he come out with the authors of pain. You know, oh my God. It's, Tag team specialist Paul Ellering, and it was like, who the fuck is Paul Ellering? Paul Ellering sounds like he should be a member of Genesis. Yeah, name like that. Um, but yeah, anyway, maybe, yeah, maybe he was, and that, but maybe why he went away was he kept having to go on tour with them. Uh, yeah, of course. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe he was like their roadie or something. Maybe he, he was, or like this second. You know, Phil Collins always used to have two drummers because he'd like to get up and have a little sing when uh, mm. whenever he performed live. Maybe he was one of the drummers. Who knows? Hang on, did, I, I need to explore the Phil Collins thing a bit more. So yep. he had to have two drummers because he used to like to get up and sing, except surely that means he was one of the drummers, so he only needs one drummer. Well, yeah, well, I, I was including him as one of the drummers. Right, okay. Or maybe I should say Genesis or Phil Collins' live shows needed two drummers. He needed an extra drummer. Right. So I'm okay. quantifying that. He, yeah, he had two because he was lazy. <laughs> Phil Collins, lazy Phil, they call him. Layabout Collins. Yeah, so uh, this match uh, is what it is, isn't it? It's six-man tag match between two, between six guys that, as you said, I don't really want to watch very much. They keep it brief, but yeah, so who cares? Who cares though about LOD against DOA? And this feud must have gone for about four or five months as well. So they would have had. Damn right, it did with this quality of match. You need it. <laughs> they, well, this was this is the basically the the end of this feud. So this is the conclusive match of a multiple month story. And I think what comes next is all the really shit stuff about Hawk jumping mm. off the Titan Tron, as I remember it. So he like yeah. did a thing where he got to the top of the Titan Tron and threw himself off or something because he was drunk and sad or whatever. Just awful fucking storyline, mm. like dreadful capitalizing on hawk's very real problems uh as they were which is bad enough and it, they're not the only company to do it at this very moment because scott hall was also doing the same thing in ww in wcw at the same time so yeah i don't know why the both companies felt the need to do this well, one, like one, one of the companies like saw the other company do it and were like ah oh, that seems tasteful yeah <laughs> let's get involved in a bit of that you know what's funny? People's lives falling apart due to alcohol and drug abuse. That's funny, that stuff. Should we get it on the show? Yeah, yeah, go on then. Not just falling apart, but also falling apart probably because of the work they do for us. Yeah. So it just makes yeah. it even, even, even more uh, impressive that they would go they, there. They've kind of like not only opened up a wound, but they put a little mixture of salt and vinegar you know, into a little paste and then just like padded the the wound with her, haven't they? And then said, go on, mate, get out there. As we said, Hawk is um, not happy about uh, Drozdov pinning whoever it was he pinned. And then after this, Hawk climbs up the Titantron and and apparently Droz climbs after him, apparently to save him, but then appears to throw him off the top of the Titantron. Oh. And it's then later revealed that it was it was Droz who was feeding Hawk's drug addiction. Oh, my God. God. Oh yeah, this is the kind of stuff that Vince Russo was writing for WWF. So mm. it's important to uh, remember some of the shit that was going hand in hand with some of the absolute white hot mm. stuff that was happening at the same time. Yeah, it's worth remembering that, isn't it? Mm. 
It is. There is great stuff. There is an awful lot of shit. Yeah. So next up is the WWF light heavyweight title match, which sees Takamichinoku facing Christian in what I believe is Christian's pay-per-view debut. May even be his WWF debut, as far as I know. He turns up on the previous month's pay-per-view during an edge match with Owen Hart, I believe. Then, yeah, and then there's there's some kind of allusion to backstory between Edge and Christian and Gangrel and then we find out Christian is Edge's younger brother apparently although they quickly dropped dropped that a number of years later and decided they were just friends after all. The match itself goes eight and a half minutes and it ends when Christian reverses a Michinoku driver attempt into a small package for the pin so not unlike the end of the Mark Merrow Al Snow match. Tom your thoughts on this one? So I'm already gonna get a little bit excited when I hear the Broods music because the Broods music is phenomenal it is oh, so so good and then oh, big tacker comes out with um boss's chops his mate yamaguchi yamaguchi san yamaguchi san that's his name and it kind of starts off all right but i was just a little bit i wasn't that enamored by this match it, it was all right i don't think gangrel and yamaguchi san get involved as much as they probably should doing the match considering that they're both out there and also i was kind of watching and thinking i don't really know who's the heel and who's the baby face in this because i'm a little bit confused because at this stage i'm pretty sure the brood are, are heels or at least gangrel is and therefore a christian by association and you know takamichinoku and yamaguchi son are japanese so they're obviously the heels <laughs> so um it's a bit of a weird one i remember I've, i do have a little bit of a soft spot for takamichinoku because he was the first one of the first well him and aguila was that his name and angular and, and um pantera no, no, no. There's another guy, um, uh, the great Sasuke. Was that his name? Were like great some Sasuke. of the first kind of light heavyweights, as they called them at the time. I remember what, ever watching, and I remember the first time, for example, I ever saw Takamichinoku's Michinoki's, um, Takamichinoku's Asai Moonsault, and being like, because <gasps> at that point I'd only seen the Vader Terry Funk sideways, slightly weird crap Moonsault. I'd never seen someone go completely far back. So it was just nice to kind of think, and oh yeah, he was one of the first ones. So credit to, to Big Taka for that. The match in itself was all right. I mean, Takovichinoku takes an absolutely mad bump over the top rope at one point from uh, mm. from Christian, where Christian kind of pulls down the ropes and Michinoku flies about 35 <laughs> feet. And also, nice to see that uh, Takovichinoku's on brand with the WWF logo on his trousers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is, which is just a nice thing. The match in itself is all right, but nothing to nothing to really um nothing to really write home about for me. But then at that point, when I happened to look at the time stamp on the bottom and realised that I was only 30 minutes into it. I was like, fucking hell, feels like I've been watching this for a long time at this point. <laughs> Mainly because the first two matches, and you said that the DOA and LOD match was only five minutes long. It felt about 45 minutes when I was watching it. <laughs> so I was a little, I was struggling a little bit when I came to this match. And if I'm being honest, they didn't do enough to really grab my attention. It was okay. It was what it was, but it, it wasn't great. And But it was interesting to see that Christian won the light heavyweight championship on his debut, which I thought was a oh, fair play. And um, Vince McMahon mustn't have realized how much he hated his face by that point, or he cared so little about the light heavyweight championship. He was like, yeah, give it to that guy with the weird face. <laughs> <laughs> Either of those options are possible. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Tom, you've hit the nail on the head, I think, in that this is better, but it's not good enough to wake the show. Because there's a bit of urgency. There's a bit of pace to it, as you'd expect from these two lads. And they get the energy going. They, the problem that we have, and Tommy touched on this, is that because they both seem to be heels, the crowd don't get into it. This is the match that should wake the crowd up, I think, really. And I'm an extension of the crowd when I'm watching it. Me as well. And I was a little bit like, I don't know who I'm meant to be. Go on, I like a bit of Tucker. I like a bit of Christian. But who's better? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how it works. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like, to be honest, they were going to have trouble living up to the entrance themes because there's two absolute rippers. Like Tommy said, the Broods music is fantastic. And Taka Michinoku's is so nuts that I absolutely love it. And I've forgotten how much I love it. So that did, that did make me smile a little bit. But the match is probably better than I think it's getting credit for because of what's come before it. And I think it's not quite the step up that we needed. But I think it would have taken something quite special, which may or may not be coming up, to lift me out of the LOD DOA malaise that I had found myself in. Yeah, so before um, Old Man comes too soon, uh, <laughs> I will give you my thoughts on this, Matt. And actually, interestingly <laughs> enough, that thing about who's the heel, who's the face, are there even heels and faces in this match? This period of time from about, from probably about this point, maybe a month or two before, right through to when Vince Russo leaves the company in the summer of 99. That is a question that that you will be asking for every single show that you see. Mm. During this period, nearly every single member of the roster has at least one turn, either babyface or heel, and many of them have more than one. They turn back and forth all the time. Even The Rock, one of the most protected guys in the whole company, goes from being a heel to a babyface to a heel to a babyface in the space of nine months is ridiculous every single person on the company is just turning the only one who doesn't is austin he's literally the only wrestler who doesn't have a face or heel turn and as a consequence you get lots of moments like this where you have two heels or two baby faces or who knows what facing each other and so that is a recurring theme the match itself is pretty good i think they do a really decent job with very little the fans aren't interested no one cares about the lightweight title because it's basically not been spotlighted whatsoever during the previous year effectively since it's been in uh since it's been active and um that's a shame because tack is phenomenal his aerials are magnificent that springboard plancher that he does is just mm. so smooth it's magnificent runs up to the rope jumps onto the top rope dives straight off and he gets some real air on it it's just fantastic christian decent it's a good match. It's just no one cares. And there's just no point in it happening, really, because, the, as I said, the lightweight title isn't of interest by this point. So, yeah, there's not a lot to say. It's a good match. We see a shot of Edge in the crowd at one point watching his younger brother. I don't think they ever resolve this story either about what, what their problem was in the past, because they soon become the brood as a trio. So I wondered if he was having a shit <laughs> because he looks very serious well, and, and, there's also... and, and he's squatting. And there's also just terrible view. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you you get better seats than that, or watch it on the TV. If you're gonna sit there that far away, you may as well watch it on TV. Edge. Mm. Well, and he's tall, yeah. so stand up. You're in an entrance way. Just stand up, and you'll be able to see everything that's going on. Also, may might I say blocking a fire exit as well. Yeah. <laughs> so irresponsible. So to all future WWE superstars who I'm sure are listening. <laughs> who want to watch matches from that area think before you do I, I think that maybe edge was trying to avoid watching it on tv because being a wwe superstar he wouldn't have been allowed to watch it head on and would have got a bad neck from watching it that's to true the side. so i think that's, that's probably what it was about um at this point actually i think it'd be remiss of me to, sorry uh, i've just properly got that that's very good <laughs> it'd be remiss of me to not mention it. we haven't mentioned the commentary team yet and to go this far into a show without talking about how intolerable Jerry Lawler is 
needs needs you know needs to be mentioned i think because i think he's all right on the show it's before he is the, the the show in itself isn't pervy enough for him to there aren't enough moments for him to be really pervy don't get me wrong he still he still has a good go on yeah, a few bloody on a few right days. he does he's a professional but this is jerry lawler just after his prime in terms of commentary and i just just that just wanted to, to note and mention that you know it wasn't as bad as, as it has been in the past up to this point. That's interesting because the first comment or the first note I've got about the commentators is during this match when Jerry Lawler struggles with the concept of gothic and yes. basically is trying to go, oh, well, they've got this gothic lifestyle. And, you know, they're always talking about what is gothic? That's yeah. it. That's how that commentary goes. But again, I quite like that because it shows that he's out of touch and he, he's mm. a well of it. And, and also on Jim Ross, this is Jim Ross in his denim WWE shirt things. Mm. Which lovely. Michael Cole had one for a bit as well. He's got one backstage. He's wearing it. He's yeah. wearing it when he does his interviews later. I'd wear it. Yeah. With this bandana, oh. beautiful. <laughs> I tell you what, if, if the listeners can make it happen, they can send us one each, and we'll wear them out on a night out. Can we also get a, a Buff Bagwell flag or whatever it was that they yes. were selling oh, giving beautiful. away with every pay per view purchase of that WCW pay per view? Yeah. Purchase. Buff Bagwell pennant. A Buff Bagwell pedant. <laughs> Well, I can't believe old man is, is indulged in delaying the inevitable even further because it's finally time. It's finally time. Old man's waited for 40 episodes and he's finally got a Val Venus bit of action. So we start with a video package building up to the Val Venus versus Gold Dust match. It starts with Dusty Runnels talking uh, about his morals and his viewpoints as a, as a Christian now, a born again Christian. Um, and taking exception to Val Venus and his act. Uh, it then goes through a number of steps where basically Val Venus introduces his latest video of the preacher's oh. wife, oh. Feature, which features Terry Runnels, of course. This then leads to uh, the return of Gold Dust on Raw, which I remember watching at the time mm-hmm. and being like, wow, like the, the reaction he got genuinely mm. was massive. And that basically leads us to Val Venus versus Goldust. What did you think of the video package to start with? Let old man go. Let old man uh, go. Let him fill his pants. I, I thought the pants. video package was fantastic. Because this is the first match with any story. So I think I needed this anyway. It reminded me how good Val Venus's character was. How great it was. And how well these guys worked against each other. In terms of what they offer character-wise. I thought it was great. The preacher's wife looks like a cracking watch. <laughs> See, I <laughs> thought I thought it looked like an absolute awful porno, if I'm being honest. This is the zoom up of Valvinus's face. Oh, yeah. it's not. They're, they're not going to show the hardcore stuff, even during the attitude here. I mean, not no. for free anyway. No, maybe on paper. I mean, that- yeah, yeah, you get your 1595 and you might see Mae Young's tits in a couple of years. But <laughs> Well, th- this was a pay-per-view tiki, so... Uh, but the video <laughs> was shown on Raw. Uh, oh, lovely. Semantic. <laughs> I, I thought this was brilliant, and I can, remember, I can remember watching the comeback. Is that too much of a... Is that too on the nose? Um, the, the, <laughs> uh, the, the comeback from Goldust. And I can remember watching when he did the Shattered Dreams for the first time and thinking, oh my... God, that looks like the most painful thing in the entire world. How can you work that without really thinking that he just kicks the turnbuckle? But like, I can remember at the time being like, that is the most brutal thing I've ever seen, <laughs> especially compared to that pathetic nutshot we watched earlier in the oh. first match. Thing is, as well, as they show the um, the shattered dreams, and they're <laughs> they're very keen to show Valvinus's bollocks. <laughs> yeah, the view from underneath, underneath the turnbuckle. I'll tell you what. 
he must have, we talked about agrees earlier, must have, absolutely must have got a little bit. Because Gold Dust, as he shouldn't, he done all back on this one. There's no little, like, slow down. He wallops him. And even if he brushed them, poor Val will never be the same again. Well, I think perhaps because we get before the show footage from Heat where Val Venus receives a gold cup as a present. Mm. Yes. Presumably from Gold Dust. Now, I know in the kayfabe world, he obviously isn't wearing it. But I reckon it was actually not kayfabe. It was a real thing. And Gold Dust just couldn't get to him in time. And so, look, wear this. So that when I yeah. do the Shattered Dreams, it's not going to hurt you. Yeah. To be fair, you couldn't earn those bollocks, could you? <laughs> Um, the other thing I should say, though, we were just talking about it. Who is the baby face and who's the heel during this whole storyline? Mm-hmm. So we start with Dustin Rhodes doing a a kind of, as I said, like a, a reborn Christian gimmick, which is massively hated and booed by everybody. So Val Venus is. is very much the baby face going into their yes. first collision, which again happened on the previous pay-per-view. And then Gold Dust returns and suddenly he's the baby face, despite Val Venus and Terry having not changed at all. And now Jim Ross is on his high horse about how she's some kind of Jezebel, as he probably called her at some point. Um, and you're like, well, again, within the space of a couple of months, you've turned them over, both baby face and heel. And it's not like Val Venus has changed. It's not like he's done anything different than what he was doing before. Suddenly he's just a heel because you've decided Gold Dust is coming back. And therefore he's it's just really. Well, obviously, the problem with Val Venus is. You can't change perfection. <laughs> the, the the thing is, you could you could almost say if you knew better, this is perfect staying in character and doing what the characters should be doing. I.e., that there are shades of grey, and you prefer who who has got the moral high ground and stuff like that. But you know, it's not that because they because they weren't clever enough to actually do that. This is a straight heel turn where nothing happens, and a straight babyface turn where nothing really on. Well, obviously stuff does happen because the dust in roads gets the sympathy and then becomes mm. you know um gold dust again but yeah it's one of those things you, you could you could look at it through one lens and be like you know that's really clever because they've just tweaked the character and that's changed the entire dynamic of the storyline but that's clearly not what's happened and i think they get away with that a lot during this period because it was probably the first time lots of this stuff happened so you were kind of like oh you know what which way am i which way am i going here and it's kind of as you say tom there's a sense that you could argue that the continuity of the characters hasn't changed at all you've just basically what you've done is changed people's perspective on what's going on so i think you did get away with it at this point but when you look back at it and you start to see some of those tendencies that vince russo's got at this point even during his most successful phase of of writing you start to realize that actually the the, the, the errors and the problems are there right from the get-go it's mm. just they were hidden amongst this really white hot product so the match itself, Val Venus versus Goldust. It's a 12-minute contest. So the end of the match goes, after a running bulldog by Goldust, Terry then confronts confronts him, but Venus tries to take advantage and almost runs into Terry. This distracts the referee enough to allow Goldust to hit a low blow to Venus and get the pin. I'd, it'd be remiss of me to not go to you, old man, first. So what are your thoughts? Match of the year. <laughs> Any year. Val Venus's music does the same to me as the Saturday night's main event music does to Tommy. <laughs> it just, oh, that bloody saxophone. Uh, Val Venus penetrates Chicago sign, which is lovely, and you know he bloody does as well. So we start off hot, obviously, because he's going to do his little in-ring promo. But this point, it gets cut off, to be honest, because it gets cut off by, uh, so he does his, hello, ladies, and then says the big Valvoski and then gold dust music hits but great pop in my opinion this should have been the opener because the crowd are into this 
And there's something riding on it in that basically Val Venus is shagging someone's wife. Like, <laughs> Rick, Rude, like Rick Rude with short hair. <laughs> yeah. Right, short hair and a moustache. Sorry. No, uh, no, it's, lo- it's long hair and a moustache. Oh, someone's it's, wife. It's, Let me clarify this, okay? Long hair, moustache, he shags your mum. No, that's wrong. Long, <laughs> long, long hair and tash, he shags your wife. Short hair and tash, he shags your mum. And as we discussed on the WhatsApp groups I pointed out to you the other day, which I will post on our social media, short hair and no moustache, he shags your sister. But that's how it goes. Now you, now you, Tinky, on that third one, you're safe from that. You haven't got a sister. Yeah. But me and old man are on alert. I've got two. Two! <laughs> Just double the, d- double the risk. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite a rude awakening. <laughs> anyway, back to the match at hand. Let's get serious Bloody... for a minute. This is yeah. Val Venus's first match on the podcast and you're yeah. interrupting with that shit. Genuinely, Val Venus is bloody great. He's really good. He's, got, he's high flying. He's hard hitting. He puts on a submission move. He's a submission machine. He puts a sleeper on. Oh my god, it's wonderful. He gets his bollocks kicked. Oh, it's tremendous stuff. I only wish our listeners could see old man's face. Yeah. He's delighted. Glee is the only way I can it's, use it. You know what? This is the best match so far. But I also think that's being objective, I think that's also damning with faint praise a little. Because I think this is good, this match. I do think it's a little long though. A bit like Val's penis. It's a little bit long. Because w- the problem is, is you know what the finish is going to be. Terry's going to try and get involved and he's going to kick him in the bollocks because it's signposted by him giving him the cup. And Valvinus is very offended by the cup. Like Tinky said, sensible for a cup. It's not a problem, is it? Although Lawler does say perhaps it's not big enough, <laughs> which, <laughs> which still made me laugh. Um, <clears throat> these guys are great. Like I said, they both have their character. They know their character and they... They can work a little match together as well. And God knows they did it enough. I think after this, I think they wrestled about a billion times in the next year and a half or something like that. But not quite as many times as he fights Dilo Brown. I was going to say. This is great. This is first class. Six stars Tokyo Dome. No wipes Tokyo Dome. Anything you want. Best match of the year. Go on, Val Venus. Tom, did you agree with Old Man's assessment? Do you know what? I... I kind of do. It's hard to live up to those levels of excitement, but it, it was really good. And like old man said, it's two guys who are fully in on their characters. They know what they're doing. They they're just they're just great. I didn't. There's a couple of things though. Obviously, Val Venus makes some tremendous noises oh, throughout yes. the matches. <laughs> <laughs> the entire match, it's just <laughs> tremendous stuff. Dustin Rhodes or Goldust does his his classic brutal looking corner spot again, which he's done a couple of times in matches that we've seen, where he gets thrown into the turnbuckle and flies through it onto the outside, which every mm. time looks really really horrible. And then that kind of goes into a bit where Val Venus is working the arm, showing his showing his you know his ability to mix it up whenever needed. Precisely. Um, um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this match. It was, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm always going to enjoy a Val Venus match just because I know how happy old man's going to be watching it. Do you That's know what I mean? It gives you that, gives you that extra level. You're like, do you know what? I'm looking forward to talking about this because it's going to be fun. I've said this before so many times as well. Gold Dust is amazing. Like, he's so much better than Dustin Roots, which is weird because it's the same person. But I love Gold Dust. I think he's brilliant. And, yeah, it was just really, really good. And and I correct me if I'm wrong. I know that the JR did a bit of the old, ah, oh, she's a Jezebel, a little bitch, or whatever it is. Like I said, about, about, um, Stratus all that time ago. But I found it a bit weird about giving someone credit for not being a massive pervert through the match. But I don't think 
old Jerry Lawler's as disgusting as he could be. So at least I wasn't that disappointed or embarrassed when I was watching it as well. So all in all, good match. I'd give it three wipes mm. in a nice toilet. I think um, they hadn't established that Jerry Lawler is a pervert trope yet by this point. Mm-hmm. So whenever he made comments, it was very much off his own back rather than trying to play up to it. Mm. So uh, maybe that makes it worse. I don't know. Jim Jim Ross saying that bitch, that was about Terry Reynolds as well. That was at oh, was it? 2000 when she turned against the uh, Hardys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I love bitch. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's got a history with Terry Reynolds or at least feature maybe with Terry Reynolds. This was okay. Like, I don't, I I, I mean, look, to be honest, since listening to Old Man, I think it's about two stars better than I did think it was just because you're right, Tom, you can't dislike it because Old Man's just so happy. He's just so happy with it. I thought it was fine. I thought it was, you know, I didn't think it was a bad match at all. Uh, I did think it was a little bit too long. And I noticed during this match, and it wasn't just because of this match, but I noticed during this match that there is a lot of selling going on throughout the whole show. As I said earlier on, there's loads of DDTs, loads of really good moves, moonsaults we've had, springboard planchers, acai moonsaults, all kinds of stuff. Not a lot of selling going on anywhere. And this kind of continued during this match. We've had a, you know, gold just dropping Venus onto the steel steps in in the first two, three minutes of the match. And it just felt like there's a lot of this going on. And I think it was part of the way WWE were building this kind of very high paced, very, I don't know, like over the top product that worked Mm. so well for a while. but looking back again you're once more thinking come on just sell a little bit for some of this stuff because it should do should do more damage than it is doing it's also like i i can't remember how far we are into the um pay-per-view at this point but what's that four matches two of which have taken a grand total of 12 minutes like if there's a bit more selling going on you can tell a bit more story you don't need one of those matches you can like take the time to actually tell a story. Uh, I do agree. I mean, there's still six stars in the Tokyo Dome. But... <laughs> well, next up, we get Michael Cole backstage reporting on an attack by Ken Shamrock on Triple H. Um, this is while Triple H is on crutches. He's already injured his knee. Um, Shamrock <laughs> slams his knee into a car door. Then X-Pac arrives with Michael Cole and calls Shamrock a jackass and he'll sort him out on Raw. He then says to D'Lo Brown that he will take back the European title because as if having our first ever Val Venus match wasn't enough, we also now have our first ever D'Lo Brown match on the podcast. I tell you what, if the next match, I know this will not be a first time, but if it's IRS (laughs) in the next match then we're having a fucking, we're having a weird of a time. Let's see. Let's see what happens. There was something really crap that happened in this promo, and I can't remember what it was. Anybody, anyone, just a fumble of words or something like that from x Um, I think it was a stumble, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he kind of looks a little bit peeved with himself, just very briefly. So then we get some footage of D'Lo Brown beating X-Pac for the title on Raw with the help of Mark Henry. Um, D'Lo then comes to the ring and is announced as residing in Milan, Italy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That is because this is for the European Championship. Dealer Brown defending against X-Pac. We have the match goes for 14 and a half minutes and it ends when D'Lo comes off the top rope. But X-Pac counters it into an X-Factor and gets the pin. Tom, your thoughts on this one? Again, add the Valvinus filter to this, but apply it to D'Lo Brown. And I'm enjoying it a lot more because I'm thinking about how much of a good time you're having when you're watching it, Tinky. Yeah, um, D'Lo Brown is fucking amazing. He he's so good at everything. And I was just thinking about it and I was like trying to figure out why 
he was never a big thing. Evidently, the running powerbomb definitely would have held him back at some point with the incident with draws that happens later next the following year. But he's brilliant. But the, the thing is, I think he's just a little bit too pudgy, if I'm Maybe. being honest. I, I reckon if he was... And it's not, it's not me criticising his body shape or anything, but just in, in the mind of Vincent Mann, if he was maybe an extra, I don't know, two or three inches taller and a bit more toned and didn't have a bit of a podgy face and stuff like that, then he could have been absolutely massive because he is so good. His in-ring work is brilliant. His selling, his arrogance, his... The, the, the kind of the storyline of the match, really, to me, is like basically his hubris is holding him back. Like he keeps on doing these like arrogant, nonchalant pins on X-Pac where he, he should just hook the leg and, and that would be the match over and it's it's just really really well done there's a couple of moves though that are a bit dodgy in it and the running powerbomb is quite suspect in this one as well because he barely gets x-pack up and starts running with him while he's halfway through and ends up kind of just dropping him and he doesn't drop him on his head and it doesn't look dangerous but it looks pretty shit and no and it's easy watching it with hindsight but that in itself when you're doing it on someone like like x-pack who can get up quite easily and is by you know in the scale of 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 wrestlers he's quite quite light in comparison to a lot of people and they still struggle to effectively pull it off it should have been a little bit of warning signs that maybe maybe don't do it as much or make sure you've practiced it or you make sure it's it's you know you can definitely do it and comfortably confidently do it not to say that he maybe didn't feel that but just watching it with with knowing what happens with draws made it feel a little bit a little bit uncomfortable when we think about that a lot and there is a very clunky cloverleaf that Delo puts on x back as well which it looks looks pretty pretty bad but overall i i thought this match was really good you said it was what 14 minutes thinking mm. didn't feel that long to me I, I sat there i thoroughly enjoyed this match and it was just yeah i just enjoyed it i just thought it was really good and the the reversal from the i don't know what move dealer he's trying to do it must be some kind of like shoulder tackle or something like that off the top rope i'm not quite sure what he's trying to do to x-pack but the reversal into the into the x-factor looks really good and i'm really glad again the second sort of time i've said this in the preview i'm glad that that's the end of the match i'm glad that there's no false finish there's no kick out because it just the force in which dealer brian hits the match would in theory in the world of in the kayfabe world of wrestling would knock you the fuck out so i think it's i think it was a really good ending to a really good match oh man well We've got X-Park gets a lovely little reaction from the crowd. We're used to him getting the heat, but he gets the love here. Two gets the heat. That's D-Lo. They hate him. Mm. My God, do they hate him. Beautiful stuff. Just really good. To echo Tommy's thoughts, and I'm sure you'll go into this as well, Tinky. D-Lo Brown is tremendous. The foot in the bollocks on the Bronco Buster attempt oh. is disgusting and <laughs> always made me feel sick when it happened so there's no way that that doesn't hurt there's no way i reckon he was wearing Paul venus's cup maybe yeah tom have you seen x Park's bollocks i don't remember of course you have because you've seen this car haven't you yeah but they, they weren't well not this dick was particularly memorable but i don't remember <laughs> and it's it's a it's like a homemade one isn't it so the, the angles from up mm, that's true yeah Anyway, speaking of shot. <laughs> God, that took you back. You had to think about that for a while, then you? I'm just going to yeah. ponder that for a few seconds. <laughs> There's a lovely shot of X-Pac calling some of the action to D-Lo about 15 times in this match. It's like every time he's let down on the floor selling a move, X-Pac, he's calling something. And the camera and the director, they're just like, no, let's, let's keep the camera on him. He's like, he says at one point, he goes, go for a weak cover, I think he says. Sure enough, he bloody does, Dino, because he's a, he's a soldier, he's a good man. One thing he's not very good at, though, is keeping liquid in his mouth. Oh, God. Oh, he, I think he has like a 
chin lock or something on X Park, and his the spit coming out of his mouth is disgusting. <laughs> it is absolutely disgusting. But away from that, this is a very good match. Unsurprisingly, it was always going to be good. Mark Henry pops down for a bit because he's uh he's obviously at this point suing China for sexual harassment. Yep. And I think this is where Mark Henry like this is the thing that Mark Henry's good at, I think, is standing behind China, licking his lips, looking a bit creepy, but also a bit sexy as well. I think that's pretty much the limit of his talents at this time. I hated the end because it I just can't figure out what Dino Brown's doing. He just literally just jumps forward <laughs> like he's a sausage. Like he's just like proper missile thing. I agree with Tommy that it should be the end because it's the X Factor. But I just thought it was a really poor end to a very good match. Five stars in the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of have to agree with you actually. It was funny the um I remember the reason I remembered the match was the ending, but thinking the ending was really good. But watching it this time, I was a bit like, yeah, Dino need to put an arm out to pretend he was going for a flying clothesline and need to get yeah. a bit more height so that X-Pac can properly bring him in as if he has reversed it. Like, it just felt a little bit like, just do those things. Just like a little adjustment and you'd have pulled it off perfectly. Interesting points about the running powerbomb. I think you're absolutely right, Tom. The, the problem was, is that when he did it well, it looked fucking brilliant. Yeah. It looked so mm-hmm. good. And I think he may have done it on X-Pac previously and made it look so good that... They wanted to keep it in the repertoire. But I think you're right. Looking at this match and a couple of times he does it, the second time in particular, when he just doesn't really get the purchase he wants on it, that says to me that this isn't the most safe of moves and maybe you want to remove it from your moveset because it has the potential to cause problems. And obviously, as you said, it's easy to say that retrospectively, given what we know about what happened to Droz. But still. It's it's interesting as well. He, he appears to start running before he's fully up. Like also, there's maybe a little bit of eagerness to get the move off, whereas literally it's like another half a second just for X-Pac to steady himself up there and you're fine, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. The the match, though, overall is very, very good. First of all, you know, obviously echo what you say about D'Lo Brown. I think that ultimately what happened with Dross was one of the big problems for him because I think there was a point in mid-99 where he was effectively become, he was going on the same trajectory as The Rock was going on, perhaps not quite as supernova but he was basically been this kind of cocky arrogant heel at this point whilst the rock had just about to get was just about getting popularity and he continued on and then he got into the middle of next the following year and people were starting to cheer for him he was getting that same organic switch into a baby face because people just really liked what he was doing but also i want to i want to give some credit to x-pac because he's a great wrestler x-pac it's yeah. much better than people at the time not not at this point but couple of years later when he was just getting booed out of buildings all the time and you're just like oh it's such a shame because he's so good he's, he's really good and this is another example of where he's really good this, their their series of matches here i think they had one they didn't just have one on rule they had a couple on rule that went around this ma- around this time and they, they, all three of the matches were really good and you know i think in many respects were the in-ring highlight for shows that they were on so yeah, I thought it was a very, very good match with some with some issues, with one or two issues, but all in all, pretty, pretty damn good. And we get, a, as you said, a bit of Mark Henry, China getting involved as well. Not bad at all. What's um, quite telling when Mark Henry comes down is that the oil that Jeff Jarrett's been applying is obviously soaked in. <laughs> so I'd imagine old Jeff was backstage just lubing his hands up, ready for when he comes back through. 
Yeah, Jeff Jarrett pulled a short straw here because Mark Henry has to appear twice on the show. So He does. So I think what we'll do there is we'll take a little break. Um, we've got four matches left, and including all the big matches on the show, I suppose you could argue. So we'll take a little break, and then we'll come back in just a moment. There's a rumor floating around backstage, courtesy of WWF.com. Now, we stress this is only a rumor. But Paul Bearer was seen, apparently, going into the Undertaker's locker room. Again, this is only a rumor. We hope to get some information from Paul Bearer a bit later. We got something to say to the New Age Outlaws. (laughs) Road Dog, you trashed our boombox with your face. Now we can't listen to our Marilyn Manson CDs backwards. And speaking of backwards, Billy Gunn, you country bumpkin, we got two words for you. You suck! Right. And speaking of rockabilly, what's up with that hairdo? And you guys are supposed to be the tag team champions. The only thing you're tag teaming is each other. You guys sit around all night in the locker room and put each other, put each other over all you want. Because tonight, you're doing the J-O-B on the P-P-V. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, welcome back. So before we get the next match, we have another Michael Cole backstage bit. He in his lovely denim shirt. Mm. He uh, had previously reported, which I failed to mention, that there was a rumor going around that Paul Bearer had been seen going into the Undertaker's dressing room. Um, and he repeats that rumor. He is then interrupted by the headbangers who say that Billy Gunn smashed their boombox with his head. This is a... Uh, this is a reference to the fact that they had smashed a boombox over a Billy Gunn's head previously. They then said they're going to beat the New Age Outlaws to win the tag team titles. Any thoughts on this little bit? I um, like the bit where I think it's Mosh says, the, the only thing you're going to be doing is tag teaming each other. And he's so happy yeah. with it that he then forgets what his next line is. He's like, you're going to be tag teaming each other. <laughs> anyway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, this was great, because it's quite, um, for want of a better phrase, marky, I think. There's some like little insider comments that I quite like, and I don't really, I can't really remember much of at this time. I also thought, I'm glad that the headbangers are face, because I really like the headbangers. I don't think they are, though. No. no. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, ah, oh. but I'll tell you what the headbangers do lead us to. Tyron Faxton of the week. Thrasher, Glenn Ruth, upon retiring from professional wrestling in 2002, began working in restaurant management and marketing. Ruth is currently the general manager of a Papa John's in Boynton Beach, Florida. Tyron Faxton of the week. Boynton Beach. Yeah. What a place. Mm. I'm going just to see Thrasher and his uh, Papa John's. I mean, yeah. the only thing you're going to be tag teaming is that pizza. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, can I have a double pepperoni? You imagine having a threesome with a pizza. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Oh, I've definitely had, a, I've definitely had a, a couple of dabbles with a pizza. <laughs> Talk about stuffed crust. <laughs> <laughs> this leads to the New Age Outlaws versus uh, the Headbangers for the tag team titles. It's a 14-minute contest, and it ends when, after a double flapjack by the Headbangers, Road Dog smashes Mosh with a boombox picking up the DQ for his team. Uh, old man, your face said it all, so I'm coming to you first. Oh, this is boring. <laughs> oh, my God, this is boring. So what happens in this match is the headbangers beat up Billy Gunn. That's it. <laughs> but, but what no, I, I take umbrage with that. What happens is that they come down to the ring. They do their pre-match thingy. Yeah. Then the headbangers... No, they don't. Get, do they not? They, do, they don't even get the best thing about the New Age Outlaws is their entrance. 
And they didn't even get to do that because the uh, headbangers attacked them. Oh, they're just yeah. about to do it. That's right. And then they get yeah. tagged. And then the headbangers beat a road dog for a few minutes. Then oh, Billy yeah. Gunn gets tagged in. Then they beat him up for the rest of the match. That's what happened. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's true. So they're doing that. And I'll be honest, I've got nothing. <laughs> nothing. 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 <laughs> so when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a classic tag team fair. Heels beat up the face, hot tag, come back, little back and forth, finish. Lovely old job. Yui Jungle has basically built their career on that. No problem with it. Like like, like the headbangers. I, can, I, know, I know where to get a good pizza in Florida now. But it doesn't happen. Rogue Dog evidently gets fed up and just smashes a bloody boombox over one of their heads. Absolutely. Even Lawler calls out. He says, it's a bit of a weak way out like for the champions. I'm like, yeah, he's bloody right. What's the fucking point? That's what I, this annoyed me when I was watching this because it was so <laughs> crap. And it's annoying me now. Now I'm talking about it again. It's a really crap end to a match that's not very good. And I don't know why it happened. And I don't know why it has to last so long. It has to happen because New Age Outlaws, despite being very dull in the ring, are one of WWF's most overacts. I mean, I was saying, just like in a hypothetical, why does it have to happen? Why? Like people say, why does why do wars have to happen? That kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, this match is as bad as a war. Yes. When I say war, I mean a moderate disagreement between two friends that's easily settled. Yeah, they're just not good. Not good at all. Not good. Don't know the reason for it. But I'll tell you what I do know is that Billy Gunn, the bum Billy Gunn, may just be the best pure athlete in WWF. Yes. JR is riding that horse. The poor horse must be exhausted from all the riding that Jim Ross has given it. Not good. Not enjoyable. Disappointed for the headbangers more than anything. Tom. Yeah, it wasn't very good, was it? It's not it's not the best match. In fact it's it's a bad match. The main thing that I've got that old man hasn't said is how offended the outlaws seem to get by the headbangers flashing them. <laughs> despite the fact that they're wearing kind of wrestling trunks underneath. So they're just showing you what Billy Gunn's wearing effectively. <laughs> And yet you're getting really offended by it. There's one bit where one of the head trinkers does a little suck it to Road Dog, and he is fuming on the outside <laughs> as well. But other than that, it's just a bit of shit. These are two terrible tag teams. As you said, Tinky, New Age Outlaws. Hey! Not the Bangers. They're all right. No, they're <laughs> not terrible. Ah. They're not good, mate. They're not good. And the, you, you only like them because they wear Marilyn Manson t-shirts, which in a sense is actually quite cool and quite different at the time. And the New Age Outlaws, as you said, Tinky, despite being one of the most overacts in the entire company, I've, I've always been rubbish as well, despite Billy Gunn's incredible athleticism. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, and watching it back in hindsight, when you don't even get the, the thing that is good about the New Age Outlaws, which is their entrance, it kind of just leaves you like, well, that's a bit shit. And then at the end, Billy Gunn does try and do the old, we got two words for you, suck it if you didn't like that, but that's too little, too late at this point. And what I did think was going to happen after the road dog comes in and smashes the boombox over over one of the head shrinkers, I thought there was going to be a little bit of like tension because they they say at the beginning of the match at some point that the outlaws 
weren't really working well together, but then they reformed recently and won the tag team titles back, and there was some dissension. So I kind of thought, like, uh, Billy Gunn would be like, what are you doing? I had that in control. I was going to get over and admit a tag. Why are you doing that? But it doesn't care. They're like, yeah, all right, that was fine. So, yeah, they did seem to have some plans to break up the New Age Outlaws around about this time, autumn time of this year. But then they kind of brought them back together, seemingly deciding actually that wasn't the right time for them to break up, which is probably right, because as bad as you might think the New Age Outlaws are as a tag team, it would have been even worse if both of them were in singles matches in separate separate moments in the shows, or at least they're confined to one. Yeah, at least, yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least you get them in one dose rather than yeah. spread out over two. Exactly. The thing, thing is, I gotta give some credit to Road Dog because he has one of the great punches in wrestling. His punches are phenomenal. They mm. really are good. They look like they hurt. They 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 make a sound, which I always like <laughs> when a punch makes a sound. And uh, yeah, so that I'll give them credit for. But other than that, that's it. That's all they're getting from me. It is pretty dull. It's very long for a pretty dull match. And mm. um, I was pretty glad when it was it was done. It's a very strange thing, the New Age Outlaws phenomenon, because it's all about their entrance. And this is, I think, when you look through this show and you look through this roster at the time, and it, the roster, this, in fairness, does improve. I mean, we've just introduced Edge Christian to this thing. The Hardy Boys start to get some some TV time in the next few months. So we, we and we get the Dudley Boys come in sort of towards the end of next year, and Chris Jericho comes in, and so we are. We this roster does improve over the next year, but at this point. There are a lot of acts in the company that seem to be over solely because of some small facet of their character. Yeah. For example, the Godfather is on the pre-show of this of this event, and he was over simply because he came out and did he had the hose with him, and that yes. was it. That was the only reason he was over, and he did his pimping ain't easy thing. Terrible in ring, but he had that, and he got oh. over. He also had his fantastic music as well. Bow, bow. Do you, reckon, do you reckon it's because a lot of people could relate to the Godfather character? They're like, do you know what? Pimping's not easy. It's quite hard. It takes a lot out of you. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it's tiring work. You, there's a lot, of, a lot of admin you wouldn't think about involved in pimping. So, yeah, I'm going to support this guy because he's got it hard. Light a fatty for this pimp daddy. Yeah, all those all those administrators all over the all over the world in offices thinking, yeah. Godfather's right. Pimping ain't easy. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm doing this and not pimping because that's a that's that's a long job. That's a big job. But that's that's what the New Age Outlaws seem to be. Just that opening entrance, and it just mm. it kept them going for a very long time. They're in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Which admittedly, I mean, come on. Like you see some of the names, but incredible, isn't it? Because I remember we covered a match. Was it The Rock and Billy Gunn? Have we covered that? Or did I just dream that we covered that and I just yeah. watched it? We haven't covered it's, that. It's in The Rock's phase where he could have had a good match with anyone. Like, probably got probably got a decent tune out of me. It's bloody awful. Piss off, Billy Gunn. So, Michael Cole is next up backstage, once again, with his denim shirt. Mm. Having a lovely time. Lovely outing, that is, today. Um, he confirms that Paul Barrett is now in Kane's locker room. So, something is going on with The Undertaker and Kane. Mankind then arrives on the scene and he does his what was his act at, at this time, which was basically a little stand up routine every time he did an interview. Yeah. He makes an absolutely horrendous joke. He makes a joke about Ken Shamrock's interviews. He said they're so bad. They're the second leading cause of teenage suicides, which is incredible. This is Mick Foley. He's supposed to be a nice man. And that's genuinely made me rethink everything. 
because that's not funny in any way, shape or form. This is a father as well. It is, it is, a, it is an unpleasant joke. I think he's had, a, he's, had a, he's had a stinker there, if I'm being oh, yeah. honest. Yeah, he, thought, he thought that was funny. It's difficult, isn't it? Because we're, we're talking about a time when literally everything was a bit questionable. Literally everything on the show is a little bit questionable. We've just had the story about Hawk, for example, and his, his alcoholism, his pain medication, whatever. We've got the whole way that Jerry Lawler reacts to any woman that's ever on the screen. We've got all kinds of stuff that's going to happen over the next year. I'm trying to make an excuse for him where he probably doesn't need it. See, I, I think the complete opposite, because the things that you mentioned are pointed at people within the wrestling show. This isn't. This is a dig at parents who've lost their kids through suicide and stuff like that. I don't know if it's a dig at them. I think it's... No, but it is, because he's making light of it. Well, yeah, he's that's saying, what I mean. He's yeah. saying that listening to Ken Shamrock's interviews, what he's trying to do is he's trying to have a go at Ken Shamrock's interviews. Yeah. You could do that in any number of ways. There are literally infinite possibilities. And he's chosen to say that they are a leading, the second leading cause of teenage suicide. Personally, I think it's indefensible. I, I, I don't think it's defensible. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it is. I think a couple of things. First of all, I think that it's insensitive. That's the problem. It's insensitive. Thankfully, the butt of the joke are not those people. But if you have been through that, then yes, you will mm. find that hard to take. Secondly, I think we have to be a bit careful ourselves because I imagine there's some jokes we've made over the past 41 episodes that are probably a little bit questionable and mm. will affect other people in certain ways. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's a fair point. I also think as well, at the time, it, you have to go back to the time. It's shock value, isn't it? It's it's he's, he's going for the shock there, which is what a lot of people would, a lot of people are doing in different ways. And I dare say you'll you'll hear if you go through and watch like many episodes of Raw and SmackDown again. It's, it's not I'm not trying to beat do like a big cause of what aboutery as well, because you know this is an isolated incident in itself. But I bet you there's so much worse things said in in over the course of this year or two in WWF as well. So it's one of those things. I I think. I bet you if you were to go back and show that to Mick Foley now, he would be he'd make his skin crawl and he'd be mortified for saying it. I just think that he's like Tinky said, he's just trying to do something that's a bit edgy and a bit awful and he's just got it completely wrong. And I think yeah. he would probably admit to that as well. I don't think if you would say like, Oh, you made this awful joke in this promo about Ken Shamrock, he probably wouldn't be like, Yeah, and I stand by it. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? So it doesn't it doesn't age well. I think Mick Foley would probably be meh. I'm glad I, I'd rather I didn't say that. Yeah, I think the major surprise for me was that it was Foley. Mm. This is jolly old Saint Mick. I, I don't know. You, there, there are, there are. You know, he he said in one interview that he wouldn't sell the abortion that is a people's elbow as well. That was the previous month. Yeah, previous it was. Month, it, it, the, the triple threat that, uh, cage match, isn't it, between these two and the Rock? Yeah. And it's just, it's just one of those things. It, it was what it was at the time. I think it's difficult to look at now. It, it's not a savoury promo. And, and like I said, I think if you were to ask him about it, he'd probably be like, yeah, I probably wouldn't say that now. Mm-hmm. He also moves on at some point then to talking about underwear. He talks about uh, Vince's underwear specifically. He talks about Vince's underwear. He talks about Shamrock's blue pants, and then he talks about Mr. Socko. And he's wearing black today. Revo- removes the sock, and he's got the mandible claw gear underneath. This is the two extremes, like that bit that I hate, and then you've got the incredible Mick Foley promo bit at the end. It's just fantastic. Just so good. The juxtaposition in my brain when I was watching was just, oh, I don't know what to do, Mick. 
He then has his match with Ken Shamrock, which is for the Intercontinental Championship. It is another 14 and a half minute match. And it ends when after after Ken Shamrock applies the um, ankle lock, Mankind then puts the mandible claw on himself to pass out and the match ends. Uh, afterwards, the the ring announcer, the Fink, says that Shamrock won as a result of the mandible claw. When has he ever said anything like that before? <laughs> um, which angers Shamrock, who then continues to attack Mankind and belly-to-belly suplexes the referee. Yes! Uh, <laughs> Mankind then uh, p- puts on Mr. Socko and applies the mandible claw to Shamrock. Oh, man. This is two lads I like. First off, hang on, hang on, before we get into it. There's a sign in the crowd, so they're trying to highlight a Shamrock sign. It says, Jim Ross, who's your daddy? <laughs> Mr. Ross, presumably. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is good stuff. I mean, they, they start off in the rain. When they get outside the rain, that's when it all kind of comes alive. I think that's where um, Mankind, in particular at this stage, I think is probably at his best when he's outside. He's, they're kind of lobbing each other around into the steps and stuff like that. He takes the um, the horrible suplex where his leg hits the steps. And it just, oh, I always made my skin crawl. That Shamrock is amazing. I know we've had this conversation before. He's so bloody good. I think we talked about this on a previous episode where he just didn't get that extra step, like to be in the world title picture, because he's tremendous. His selling of the finish is amazing. He's so angry. The reason why I celebrate when he slams the ref is because that's what I was hoping he was going to do. And it reminded me of, uh, I think it was at WrestleMania 14, when he um, he's dishing out belly-to-belly suplexes like they're going out of fashion, and he gives it gives one to that guy who then gets up and sells his back. Like, he's mm. he's grabbing his back, and he's like, ah! But this is just good. This is good. He's not quite that guy selling good, <laughs> but this, this is good. The matches are getting gradually better, and I'm starting to get a bit more into this, in, into the show as it goes on. And I'm like, you know what? We're warming up nicely, yeah? Well done, lads. I was watching this match, and I, all I could think to myself, because you're right, old man, Ken Shamrock, Ken Shamrock, he lays it in in the match. You know, he's, he's quite a stiff worker. All of his offense looks good. His greatest selling, there's a bit of the, in the in the opening kind of exchanges of the match, or earlier in the match, where he gets the mandible claw applied to him. He rolls out the ring, and he's selling the mandible claw like he's in absolute agony around his mouth and his jaw, and it's it's brilliant. And all I could think to myself was, like, imagine him with, like, Paul Heyman. With a manager with a mouthpiece, he could have been really, really good. Um, interestingly, his name is Kenneth. It's Kenneth Wayne Shamrock. <laughs> Tremendous name. So well done to that guy, <laughs> Kenneth. I never thought of him as being a Kenneth. Yeah, the match itself is, is really good. Like, it's, like two two really good, really good wrestlers. Um, really, really good. Like Ken Shamrock is is great. Again, I'd say knows his character. I think he's just him. Um, so he's very good at being him. So well done. And we're in a bit, a bit of a strange phase with with Mick, Mick Foley at the moment, where he's the mankind character is still there, but he's obviously he's not quite the same character that he was when he debuted in '96, and he's not what he would go on to be, which is basically just Mick Foley. But there's a nice kind of balance between them. They're kind of openly calling him Mick Foley. There's a bit of commentary that made me laugh. Jerry Lawless says, "You say uh, Mrs. Foley's baby boy. Have you ever seen Mrs. Foley?" And and um and JR goes, No, no, I haven't. And the king goes, Oh, I bet she's horrible. 
which made me laugh more than it should have done. Um, and I actually really liked the ending of the mm. match with um with mankind kind of putting the mandible claw on himself and passing out. So as I'm watching it, I'm thinking you can't have him tap out. You just can't have him tap out. So I really like that ending. And I quite like the fact that Ken, Ken Shamrock spazzes when he realizes that his it's not the you know it's not the the ankle lock that 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 won him the match. Um, but I didn't think, to be honest, I didn't think the commentary did a very good job at explaining that. I think, I, you know, it's just a little bit of a nuance. I think they they should have kind of explained that a little bit more. And then, if I'm being honest, if I'm whoever the referee is, we're going to say it's Mike. Is it Mike Kyoda? I don't know. But if it is him, as soon as I'm seeing that look in Ken Shamrock's eyes, I'm scarfering. So I know what's going to happen. <laughs> but no, he done. He sticks around, tries to calm down, suplex, fuck off. Yeah, I I did this match didn't do a lot for me. I'll be honest, didn't do a lot for me this one. Um, I don't know why, just couldn't get into it, and I'm not. I, I really can't put my finger on why. We just, I like both guys. We, as you said, old man, we spoke about Ken Shamrock during the SummerSlam '97 episode, which unfortunately Tom wasn't with us for, and we said, why, you know, why didn't he make the main event? And I still believe that, but at the same time, like I just, this match just didn't do an awful lot for me, and I didn't like the ending. I, even though I totally agree with you, he shouldn't be tapping out. I don't like the ending. I just don't think it makes any sense because surely, first of all, you can't apply it to yourself just like anything <laughs> else. You can't tickle yourself in the same way. So like, why would yeah. you be able to apply a move to yourself? And when, even if you could, the minute you start to to fall asleep, your grip would loosen and you'd no longer be falling asleep. So mm. just didn't, just didn't do anything for me, but I, yeah, I don't know why just didn't, just didn't work for me. Bit of a nothing match in my view. And I, they tried. They really did try. Mm. They they went round the outside, as you said, oh man. They did the Shamrock did the kind of running uh, sort of as mankind ran towards him. He did the power slam onto him onto the steel steps, which always sounds amazing. Yeah, mm. it does. he does it. And uh, you know they did other things, belly to belly suplex by Shamrock, which I, re- I really like his belly to belly suplex. I think it's great. Knee charge in the corner, all the sort of spots that they would normally do, and it just wasn't. I just wasn't doing anything for me. I don't know why. Strange one this. It's interesting you said that it feels a bit of a nothing match. I think this is the problem with the whole card so far, is that there's pretty much... I know we had X-Pac and Dino for the European title, and then you've got Val Venus Gold Dust. There's a bit of personal feud. There's got Val Venus in. But there isn't a whole lot to get your teeth into, is there? No. You could, I... have pro- yeah, you, you could probably just have gums. <laughs> and I think also we're talking about a period of time where, or at least this show, where nearly all these matches you've seen before like nearly every single one have been on pay-per-view before these are not original or new scenarios that they're putting these people in ken shamrock and mankind fought each other in a cage alongside the rock in the previous month's pay-per-view uh x pack and d-lo have been fighting a number of times on raw prior to this goldus and valvinus fought each other on the previous month's pay-per-view you know there's they're just not offering up anything new and so that's the other part of it and for me this is just less interesting than seeing these two in a cage with the rock and so yeah just didn't just didn't do anything just didn't do anything for me it kind of does reek of of what we've heard many people say in the past that vince man really doesn't particularly give a shit about anything apart from the main event yeah yeah i think that's i think that's true and actually i think this is one of the things about when we watched the spring stampede no slambury 2000 wcw show which vince vince russo is booking is that i think if that was booked by had the filter of vince mcmahon the main event that we all objected to in terms of the end bit where Canyon mm. gets thrown off the cell wouldn't have happened because Vince no. would be saying, actually, what you want to big up is the fact that Jeff Jarrett's just won this kind of big match 
and is still champion and you want to spotlight him as your main guy because he's your champion. Whereas Vince Russo didn't have that filter of the main event. And so everything else underneath that probably would have been exactly the same, except for that sort of top level. Yeah. He might have been more protective of Sting and of various other big names, Hogan, for example, because he, he did care about more than just the main event. He cared about the big players. But yes, I think you're right. I think that there is a degree to this show, which you can see Vince Russo, uh, Vince Russo is booking everything like he books everything. And the only thing that's kind of protected, really, is his big name stars, is Austin, really, more than anything else. So next up, we get Michael Cole hoping to get a word with Mr. McMahon. But Big Boss Man tells him he's not approved to be there and tells him and his crew to get out of here before he shoves his nightstick up his scrawny little ass. Yes. (laughs) Go on, Boss Man. Excellent use of the word scrawny. (laughs) This is just after Boss Man had returned to the WWE not long before this. He's got a nice leather jacket with the Boss Man written on it as well. Yeah, you know what? The biggest issue here is that for Bossman in this uh, second run in the WWF is that they'd downgraded him from having the amazing uh, music that he'd had before to the terrible dirge that he gets as part of this run. And, and furthermore, he's not coming off the bottom turnbuckle as much. <laughs> is, is his music... Yes, that's his music. Yeah, I never really thought about how crap that music is. It's fucking dreadful. It's like one of the worst things ever. It's worse than it's worse than the right to censor. It's just terrible. At least at least right to censor made sense, didn't it? Well, yeah, it was kind of in the character, I suppose. Now, before the next match, after Mark Henry comes to the ring, he dedicates a poem to China in the uh, deepest traditions of the genius here, Mark Henry. Um, just, just a quick thing. Um, they announce that D'Lo Brown's coming out. Is it accompanied by D'Lo yeah. Brown? Mark Henry. D'Lo Brown's not there, guys. It's not. It's just he's, not there. And they do. They cover it on commentary. He says yeah. he was scheduled to come out, but now he's not able to following his previous match. Oh, uh, I missed that. Mark Henry does say at the end of his poem, he says, "Take a smell of that." To the course. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. All joking aside, the father Mark Henry remembered all of that poem. It's very impressive. Because <laughs> with the greatest respect to him, I don't think it came off the top of his head. Well, that's not that's not what Jerry Lawyer tells us. Jerry Lawyer says yeah. he's, he's coming up with that off the top of his head. Anyway, this is in ahead of Mark Henry's match with The Rock, which is a five minute encounter yeah. between these two. What happens is D'Lo Brown runs to the ring, but gets knocked off of the apron by The Rock. The distraction allows Henry to knock The Rock down, hit a splash. And then with D'Lo holding Rock's legs, gets the pin. Who wants to go first? Well, you said everything. <laughs> sorry, say, like, sorry about that. It's, no, no, no. It's not criticism. It's a criticism. The matches, it's just not very good. It was really disappointing. I was hoping for more. It's Mark Henry. It's The Rock. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is this is the period in The Rock's career. He's just about to get there, where he can have a really good match with, with almost everyone. And I was expecting. Think of it. I wasn't expecting a thirty-minute Broadway, but I was expecting it to be at least better um the there's why, a couple why, of... can i just ask you why why did you expect it? we know mark henry doesn't get the sport until about 10 years after this point so no. why would it be any good <laughs> i'm expecting it to be a bit more drama some more storytelling from it i'm expecting more from from the rock and he hasn't got the ability to do that in the five minutes that they're given i think that i think that the rock can have a better match with mark henry than most other people could at this time and just with a couple more minutes they could have actually done something in the match which they weren't able to so that was why it disappointed me looking at it in hindsight 
hindsight, saying if I went into it knowing there was a five minute match, then I was like, oh, well, this is going to be a TV match. You know, I was I was hoping for a bit, a little bit more. That being said, I found the Rock suplexing Mark Henry quite impressive. Looks mm. looks a cool visual. And note on the people's elbow that it's before the move is properly over as well. So the fans are still a little bit like, well, it's just a bit of a long winded, stupid elbow, isn't it? <laughs> but it does not as over as it got. And I don't know. It's it left me feeling a bit. I was quite looking forward to seeing a bit of The Rock in '98, if I'm being honest. And I was a little bit left left let down by it. That being said, I quite like the fact that Dealer Brown holds down The Rock's legs. You don't see that very often, do you? Or at least not anymore. And I was like, oh yeah, no wonder he couldn't kick out of it because he's got a big heavy lad laying on his chest, and he mm. can't get any leverage from his legs. But other than that, I was just a little bit yeah, a little bit disappointed by this. To be honest, I think this was about as good as I was expecting it to be. And it was shorter than I was expecting it to be but it is as good because it's not very good, really. And I mean, we topped out with a poem and I knew that as well. When he says, take a smell of that at the end of the poem, <laughs> I was just like, well, we ain't going to get better than that. I quite like the finish because I think it makes sense, but we know three matches in a row with screwy little finishes and I already know what's coming at the end of the main <laughs> event. And I'm a little bit like, hang on, come on, come on, come on. No. Come no, on. we're not. Come on. So I think I I'll be think, honest. What one more? Come on, you're dangerously getting into Gary Glitter territory, old man. <laughs> with that, so that's true. Not for the first time, old man's almost broken into song <laughs> just just through the words he said. And there was an example of it earlier on which I didn't mention, but uh, I may try and figure out a way to highlight it when I do the edit. <laughs> I, I oh, thought I thought me. you I thought you were going to say it's not the first time the old man's ventured into Gary Glitter territory. <laughs> <laughs> so that's an awful thing to say, Tinky. You want to talk about Mick Foley being insensitive? Jesus well, they, there you go. That's what I was kind of saying is that we do have a tendency sometimes to make mm. insensitive jokes. So let's not let's not get too heavy handed with it. Um, it's terrible this match, but it's also <laughs> the thing is is that this isn't The Rock in '98. I think this is the thing that we've got to be careful. No, no it is. About. Like it's not what he did for the majority of this year. So in the The Rock in '98 is a heel. Okay, there's only two months in the entire year he's a babyface, and it's this match and the previous the previous pay per view. Those are the only two months The Rock is a babyface during this year because he's the heel in the feud with Triple H um, and DX through the summer. That ends at SummerSlam '98, and then out of nowhere the fans just start loving him, and WWF book him accordingly until Survivor Series when he turns heel again. So basically, this isn't representative of The Rock in 1998 is also, I think you might be doing The Rock, giving The Rock a bit more credit than he deserves, because I don't think he's quite, I think it was more like 2000, 2001, when The Rock really started to be able to go in the ring, really like, would be able to go with anybody. I think at this point, still really, still really green. He's not been wrestling for less than two years, or about two years he'd been wrestling by this point. So he wasn't a phenomenal in-room worker. And here he's against Mark Henry, as we said before, didn't even really seem to understand what it was that he was doing. So, you know, you Go can't expect too much from them, but it isn't very good. As you say, though, did enjoy the visual of the rock suplexing Mark Henry. That was pretty cool. Other than that, yeah, not a lot going on. So we then get the video package for the main event. It shows Austin losing the title to both Taker and Kane at the previous month's pay-per-view when they had a triple threat match and both pinned him at the same time. Then the next night when Austin attacks McMahon after coming to the ring in a Zamboni, then uh, Austin attacking McMahon in the hospital after Taker and Kane had destroyed McMahon's ankle, which included the tremendous shot with the, uh, the bedpan. The greatest moment in Raw history. 
Greatest movie Easy. in wrestling history, mate. Yeah. That, is, that is fucking brilliant, that bit. We then get McMahon booking Undertaker versus Kane for the vacant world title and assigning Steve Austin to the match as referee. He tells Austin that if he doesn't raise the hand of one of them in the match to crown them the new champion, he will be fired. And so the idea is that Austin will either have to humble himself by crowning somebody else the champion or will be sacked by Vince McMahon. Well, in the video package, you see Vincent Mann doing his weird middle finger again, but it's blurred out. What? Weird. Weird, weird yeah. continuity. Well, so it was all right at the beginning, but we have too many middle fingers. You've used up your allowance. Maybe. Right. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe there was genuinely an amount of profanity yeah. that you like, if you like, that they were allowed to do. I don't know. Um, what I like about this main event promo video is that it really shows the title being the main focus of everyone's attention. <laughs> like, you wouldn't even have a clue. It matter. What I liked about it was where we came in at the beginning of the show when I asked you, oh man, if you were watching Raw at the same time as those pictures yeah. when you were running through it, it showed you, I think, exactly why <laughs> Raw was so damn yeah. watchable. Because you've yeah. got, during that period, you've got the Zamboni bit, you've got the stuff in the hospital. These are classic Raw moments that people remember mm. for, for years, you know, and, and loved them. And it kind of really honed in on that Thing, that rule was so exciting and so hot and so fun to watch every week because it just came up with all this kind of crazy stuff and it felt like again going back to the idea of Vince Russo like he was coming up with some, maybe the bones of an idea and then Vince just taking it and making it into something bigger and then really focusing and spending time on what we're going to do with Austin this week and you if you ever listen to Vince Russo in, in interviews he'll talk about how they would write the show and then they'd spend hours just on the Austin bit when Vince McMahon joined them to, to talk about what Austin would do because he was so meticulous in terms of making sure that what they did with Austin was first of all always protect him always make him look like the star and at the same time always make it so that it was really entertaining so the main event itself Kane versus The Undertaker for the WWF Championship with Sting Cold Steve Austin as the special guest referee it's a match that goes just under 18 minutes so the end of the match sees uh, Kane chokeslam Taker then Paul Bearer coming to the ring Paul Bearer tells Kane to let him hit Taker with a steel chair but then when Kane turns his back Bearer hits Kane with the chair Kane no sells the chair shot however and goes after Paul Bearer until Taker gets back up and takes Kane out with the chair Taker then goes for the cover but Austin won't count Austin then stuns Taker hits him with a chair and then declares himself winner after counting both men to the mat for three Let's do the match first, because there's a fairly lengthy after-match bit here. So, Tom, what were your thoughts on the main event match? Uh, I've got two notes. <laughs> boring, shit-ending. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was my thought. It is just really boring. Like the, the, it's, you, people want to see Austin. They want to see him wrestle. So why are you not having him in the main event? Even I know they did the triple threat match at the previous pay-per-view, but have him involved in some way that hinders him, that makes him an underdog, rather than doing this stupid storyline where he's got to be the referee and raise the hand of someone. The first part of it, he's mucking about. He's mucking about something rotten, Austin. He's He does a really slow count for The Undertaker. He does a really quick count with Kane. And then I think he gets bored in the match and then just basically does nothing for the rest of the match until the end. Undertaker's working over Kane's leg. This is that what is that really what we want to see in this match in your main right. event? It's just it's so dull. They they try and go out of the ring and do some stuff and that doesn't really work. They get back in the ring and the poor bearer gets in. Poor fucker can barely get in the ring. He really struggles getting through the ropes. Hits K 
Kane with the tamest chair shot I've ever seen. And it's just like the end and him declares himself the winner. You're not, Steve. Sorry. <laughs> you're not. You're, you're emphatically, you're wrong. You're not the winner. And it's just oh, so rubbish. I, uh, to be fair, I wasn't actually expecting much from this match because it's the Undertaker before he's really good. He's still decent at this point, but he's not good. And I don't think Kane's very good at this stage either. You know, we watched that match between Ice Train and uh, and old matey boy who looks like he's going to burst. Scott oh, Norton. Norton. Yeah, and I said that's two big old bollocks crunched against each other. <laughs> this is two big, big flaccid dicks just slapping <laughs> against each other for a little bit. I just... Well, I, 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 just, I find this match really boring. Really boring. If it wasn't for the fact that I had my phone out of reach i'd have probably been on my phone through it because <laughs> it was dull it's really dull so king comes down to the ring fire on the railings lovely old job enjoyed that undertaker love the undertaker music at this point mm. i also like the fact that he's not wearing his hat in that so he's a bit quicker to get it then um you know you're in trouble when the guest referee gets the final entrance for the main <laughs> event <laughs> this is exactly what i expected it to be not very good because they don't have good matches. Kane and Undertaker do not have good matches. They've got this like rivalry that everyone's like, ah, oh, they're brothers of destruction. They've imploded again. And they've had another really underwhelming match because I, I'm realizing this. Kane isn't very good, unfortunately. And Undertaker, he said this in interviews as well. He don't particularly like fighting big guys. Like he, It's not something that he enjoys. He's, I don't think it's something that he's particularly good at either. And this is just very slow, as you'd expect. And it just doesn't work. Because as Tommy said, all people want is Austin. That's all they want. It could have been Austin sat in a ring for 20 minutes rather than have the match. And the crowd would have been absolutely loving it. They beat up Austin for a bit, which I didn't understand. I was kind of like, oh, maybe they want a double DQ because they both take a turn on him. So that Austin doesn't declare a winner and then he gets fired because that, well, that kind of makes sense. But then they, then Undertaker and King continue to have a little scrap. And that's when old Paul Bearer comes down. And then the end happens as you laid it out. It's just, it's a main event. I understand completely it needs to go 15, 20 minutes. But 17 minutes is bloody long for these two flaccid cocks to wave against each other. I'd have given them 10 minutes. And I think we would have had an all right time, but it's not not good. And also, like Tommy said, when he pins them to the mat for three, both of them, I was just watching it. I was like, that make any sense. No one's covering them. How can you do that? But hey, he's Austin. He can't play by the rules. He could have counted to 10. He could have counted to 10 really quickly, and that would have made more sense. Yeah. Well, let's not forget that he's not a designated a proper official. You know, he's not been he's not been trained in the same way as uh, Mike Kyoda, <laughs> Nero Hebner and Tim White and, and the rest of them have been. So, you know, in fairness, I, maybe he I, just I, didn't I, really understand the rules properly. Yeah, I tell you what we needed in there, Scott Armstrong. <laughs> I tell you what, if he wasn't so damn disrespectful to the referees in their little changing cupboard, they could have given him some tips. <laughs> so you're absolutely right. This is absolutely Dull as, as you can imagine. It's one of the worst. I think it's one of the worst made events we've covered on this show so mm. far. Like, uh, I'd rather it have been like Goldberg and Kevin Owens, quite frankly, because at least it would have been 30 seconds and we're done. Yes. But yeah, they, they insist on it. I think what's happening here also is that The Undertaker, so in about same period of time the following year, The Undertaker takes nine months off. 
And I think it's because he's carrying a ton of knee injuries. And I think they're already affecting him at this point. If you watch him, he doesn't look very mobile at all. I don't think he runs the ropes hardly at all. He's just not very mobile. He's and got a really crap eyebrow piercing. That probably also is affecting his performance. Um, and I think, to be honest, that he was only continuing to wrestle at this point because WWF had no main event. <laughs> so they had Austin and they had Kane and Undertaker. And that was it for nearly the entire of 98. So we had seen this match again, going back to what I was saying about we've seen Ken Shamrock and Mankind. We've seen X-Pac and Dilo, we've seen Goldust and Val Venus. We'd seen this match tons of times during this year. Like we'd seen Kane versus Undertaker at WrestleMania and at the pre the preview after that. We'd seen them tag up against each other. Uh, sorry, against each other. That's right. Kane and Mankind against Austin and Undertaker at a main event of pay-per-view. We'd seen Austin versus Undertaker. We'd seen Austin versus Undertaker and Kane on a main event of a pay-per-view. And in between all that, we were getting regular matches between these same people on Raw as well, practically every single week. They were offering up nothing new. The only thing that they offered up and the only thing that drew people into this this match was the fact that Austin could get fired if he didn't raise one of their hands and people wanted to tune in to see if that was the case and crazily that was enough to promote this show because Austin was super over massively white hot he was just in a phenomenal period of his career where just everything he did people wanted to see they wanted a part of and that both hindered and helped the match because if this had just been Kane versus The Undertaker with no Austin probably would have been a worse match but at the same time it would at least have focused your mind on the two people having the match. Mm. But because Austin was there, it kind of gave you something else to think about. And in the beginning, you're, you're right, does the slow count when The Undertaker's trying to pin Kane, then does a fast count when Kane's trying to pin The Undertaker. He does the bit where he tries to hand Undertaker some some cable to choke choke Kane with. And I thought, okay, <laughs> this this might be quite fun, watching Austin do this stuff, you know, trying to kind of antagonize them both. But then, as you say, Tom, he seems to get bored for like the, the middle 14 minutes of the match and then only comes alive right at the end again when he does what he does at the end. So, yeah, it's a terrible match, but it was testament ultimately to how white hot the pro- product was that they could present what was effectively the same match they'd been doing every single week for about a year, for nearly a year by this point and still get a pay-per-view buy rate out of it still get people interested and still get austin the big pop at the end when austin does what he does to both undertaker and kane mm. also it shows how dull this was is that we've got this super white hot product and yet there are chants and shouts of boring during this yeah. from the crowd it is just a horrific main event but ultimately wwf were at a stage where that didn't even really matter they were just really really popular so after the match then let's talk about the uh the post-match shenanigans we get um austin then challenge vince to come to the ring and fire him nothing happens so austin then goes backstage to confront mcmahon and austin is searching backstage for him he comes across michael hayes in the uh i think the network or the online room the the, the superstar line Superstar line, fine. Um, and then he also comes across Owen Hart, who appears to still be dressed as the Blue Blazer, which is a very strange moment of, uh, of yeah. stuff. Yeah. I don't know what and that's about. He wants to see a big Brucey as well in the gorilla position. And uh, he's like, where's McMahon? And he goes, he's, he's over that way. <laughs> Jerry Lula goes, Bruce Pritchard just sold him out. <laughs> so when he can't find him, he comes back to the ring and Austin again challenges Vince to come out this time Vince appears in his wheelchair with the big boss man from behind the big screen which interestingly I'd forgotten that the big screen raises in this show 
but previous in the show i noticed it was swinging it was swaying and i was like oh that's a bit dangerous the old screen seems to be <laughs> swaying so yeah vince then appears he's behind the big screen the screen raises up there are a massive chance of asshole vince then tells austin screw you you're fired austin is left in the ring he tells vince that he ain't seen the last of stone cold steve austin and austin then gets some beers and does his poses for the crowd let's be honest this last bit very much similar to how hogan used to do things yeah and there's there's also so i think vince man gets some pants thrown on him and he looks yes. genuinely annoyed which is amazing and when austin gets his beers he gets them from a really crap carrier bag He's <laughs> a really crap, flimsy-looking, mouldy carrier bag with his beers in, like three beers. And I must admit, he's drinking them quite for Austin, quite gentlemanly. He's <laughs> quite sipping them, and then eventually he does a bit of a pour. But I was like, wow, he really is actually drinking that beer, isn't he? Rather than just chucking it all over himself. But this bit goes on for too long. It's it goes crap. on for far too long, and it's boring. Oh, it's just crap. You guys both crap. got an aversion to post-main event angles, don't you? I've noticed this. This happens yeah, a lot. <laughs> I, because I crap, knew, yeah. yeah, I knew from memory when I watched this, it would have been last March time. I had watched this previously, but I completely forgotten it and I loathed it then. I'm watching it again now. It's crap. It's so shit. And what's so shit about it is that we're watching it with the benefit of hindsight, but I can guarantee that when I watched this as a kid, I knew he wasn't fired. And it's just bollocks. It's all bollocks. And it really, my whole thing about this whole show is that the main event is only about Austin getting fired. I want the world title to mean something because people have got to fight for that. And that's apparently what Austin's so pissed off about is losing the title. It's just really poorly done. Just really crap. The best bit is the pants. So it's, it's interesting because I, I think I come down on both sides of this and I I understand what you mean. I mean, when we took, spoke, spoke about the NWO stuff, if you remember at the end of Fall Brawl 96, mm. I genuinely thought that was really good and you guys didn't mm. particularly like it. This, I don't think is particularly good. I don't think it's particularly bad. I just think it's it's what it is. It's fine. It's not, it's not great. It's not bad. But I also understand what you're saying about the title. The problem is, the reason I come down on the other side is that this is what people are there to watch. This is why they've tuned in. No one cares. As you said, no one cares about Undertaker Kane. Like the, the minute the match starts, they're like, oh, here we go then. Let's settle in to watch this until we get to the good stuff. And yeah. I also don't necessarily agree that when you were, I mean, maybe you did when you were a kid, but I think there are lots of people watching this at the time thinking this might be real. I do think there are lots of people buying into this and, and allowing themselves to to go along with this this ride. Partially, I think that's because this is the first time the Austin, uh, the first time the boss versus the staff member story properly happened in WWE. Mm. We've never seen this before. And so it was a really different dynamic. It seemed to come from somewhere real, which obviously originated from almost the Montreal Screwjob in some respects. So because that was real, it still felt a little bit real. Like It felt like Vince McMahon would do anything he could to to get his way and also at the time wwf were allowing their wrestlers to go on various different shows that were outside of their control one of them was called off the record i think it was a canadian show that they all got austin went on it undertaker went on it and it was kind of non-kayfabe show but they kept elements of their characters in those interviews in particular i remember there may have been one where austin was asked by the interviewer you know what do you think of vince mcmahon and he maintained the storyline that he hated him but said that he was a genius in terms of the business he'd done so it's kind of they're mixing in that reality with that with the Mm. story and i think people did genuinely buy it like not necessarily that he was definitely sacked but that put it this way the the pay-per-view was successful enough 
that it felt like people were buying it just in case it was the last time they'd see, the, mm. see Austin in WWF, or at least the last time they'd see him for a few months. So I think in that respect, it ultimately delivered on what WWF had promised was the focus of this show, which is will Austin be fired or will he not be fired? On the other hand, watching it in isolation, it's not good. It's not fun. Yeah. It's not interesting. The main event ultimately is a terrible match. It's all about Austin and the title kind of does get pushed to one side. And I think that watching it in isolation, it's not a very good end to a pay-per-view, but it did it did the business. Um, and I guess this is a good time for me to say that that is why our next episode is going to be uh, WCW Halloween Havoc 98, which took place just seven days after this show. And part of it is to really reflect on that this point in the Monday Night War, which for me is a really critical point because both companies are still competitive with one another, but they are providing during this month something vastly different. And I think that's that's why I think it's going to be an interesting an interesting doubleheader in terms of comparing mm. the two shows. So time to give our overall thoughts, our rating out of 10, our MVP and our match of the night. Why don't we start with you, Tom? So uh, my match of the night is going to be Valfianus versus, versus Goldust. Got to be done. It's 40 weeks in the making. Finally, we get to see the big Valvoski. We don't get to see his pre-match, pro- uh, his pre-match promo. Easy for you to say. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, I did thoroughly enjoy it, and I was looking forward to talking about it so much. So there we go. Um, my MVP of the night is oh, fuck me. I, I don't. Um, Valvinus. <laughs> I'm just gonna give it to Valvinus again because he was involved in the match that I enjoyed the most. So there we go. I'll go to Valvinus. And my overall rating is a five. I didn't think this was very good. Uh, that match might be a bit generous. I'm gonna give. Mm, yeah. Fuck. No, I'm gonna give it a five, and it gets. Five. It would be four. It's getting a five because it had Valvinus on it. <laughs> that's why so i'm doing i'm i feel like i'm taking all of old man's all of old man's thunder at the moment but it was look, looking forward to, to watching watching old man getting his getting a little, little bit of excitement about it so there we go that's it valvinus for the, for the three three awards my mvp is obviously valvinus obviously <laughs> um my match of the night so i was going to go for valvinus but it's x park dino brown is my match of the night because i think it's enough better than the Goldust Valvinus match. I'm uh, so I'm really struggling with a rating for this because I don't think it's very good and I struggled through it. But we've got the Valvinus Goldust and X Pardino Brown back to back, just fighting it out in the middle. Then you've got Shamrock and Foley that I know me and Tommy were higher on than you, Tinky. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it a four. I think it's probably a three, to be honest, but Valvinus. So it does get the old Valvinus point. For the main event, the main event, if we... So say we give marks out of 10 for the main event, I'll give that minus one. For the post-match shenanigans, minus three. <laughs> wow. That is uh, that is some harsh stuff there. Um, yeah, that's shit. So I think, for me, the MVP, I thought, you know what, I thought both of you were going to say Valvinus, so I'm going to go D'Lo Brown. Um, just because, yeah, it deserves his little credit. And we haven't seen either of them for 40. This is the 41st episode. We haven't seen either of them until today. Mm. So, um, you know, I think they both deserve their calling. In terms of the match of night, Dino Brown versus X-Pac for me was the best match of the night. And quite significantly so, I think. Like, hey, hey, come on. Come well, on. just when I compare the whole, like, it's the only one that stood out to me. Their Val Venus Goldust match was fine. I thought the opener was fine. I thought the like, heavyweight title match was fine. 
everything else was a bit like a bit of a either I mean, I guess the Mankind Ken Shamrock match was fine. It just should have been more. <laughs> We're talking about Mankind and Ken Shamrock. Rock Mark Henry was terrible. Six man tag match was terrible. The main event was terrible. Road Dog, uh, sorry, New Age Outlaws versus Headbangers is terrible. Like it's just not. It's got a lot of bad matches on it. I'm giving it a four, which I, I really struggle with it. I was like, oh, is it? It could be anything from a three to a five, and I've given it a four just because I landed in the middle of it all. It's not a good show. And I've wa- I don't know how I've watched this six or seven times because oh. I'm sure I have. <laughs> I'm sure I have watched it six or seven times. But as I say, like it's not a good show. And I'm not going to turn around and change my mind just because I've watched it a lot. You've watched it so many times, Tiki, because you didn't have much else. That's, That's the it. thing, isn't it? Like you, exactly you, it's it. one of the ones that you have on, you had on video, and you didn't have many others. I'm I'm switching my rating to a four as well. I'm with you boys. You boys have sold me on it. I think I panic. I I I, I did a I was, I was telling you uh, to old man the other day. I was listening to a podcast and the the guy said uh, one of the guys on it said um, whenever he goes into a restaurant and can't decide what he had what he wants to have he defaults to a burger and his wife calls it a panic burger. And that's what he orders quite a lot. That was a panic rating that I just did as well. <laughs> so I'm going to go four as well because I, I'm looking at the actual rundown of matches rather than my scrawled half notes that I took. And there is a lot of shit on that. There's nine matches and only two of them are good. Yeah. No, so, I mean, it's fair. It's fair. There, there, there isn't a lot of good on here. But God, I'm tempted to go for it lower down again now. Anyway, I'm going to keep it at four. But it's, it's better than sold out. 97 yeah but that, i think i gave that a one so i mean yeah. in fairness i've got i've still got room to maneuver between the two which is ridiculous <laughs> yeah not a good show and i think as i say for me it just it's not a good show not just because it's not a good show in isolation but if you then think about it in terms of the timeline it's just not giving you anything new it's all same scenarios over and over again but it's just it's just amazing to think that there were enough people willing to buy this pay-per-view that it did mm. a decent buy rate it actually did a better buy rate this pay-per-view did than the previous year's SummerSlam. 97 that we watched which is oh, headlined between Bret Hart and The Undertaker a match that had barely happened at that point certainly not for a, a while which is a really good show yeah it's a really good show so obviously you don't know what the quality of a show is going to be before you go in but ultimately this wasn't offering anything new and yet it did a better buy rate than that did so it's it just goes to show how hot the product was mm. at this time this point in time and would stay this way for a number of uh, you know a couple of years at least after this point they could serve up any old shit couldn't they Pretty much, pretty much. Share on a plate, get it down, you fans. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> so as I say, part two of this kind of double header will be next week and we'll be watching Halloween Havoc 1998. We won't get we won't be getting many times when we announced next week's show on the podcast um, itself. But yeah. this is an exception. I hope that the uh listeners have noted that in their diaries. Indeed. So it's time for the game. And old man, you're our host. I am indeed. Now I'm a little bit concerned. Because I've had a little brain fart, and I don't know if we might have done this before, but if we have, it's a different take on it. So we've obviously covered it in your house. So what I'm looking for is I'm looking for main event people, people that have been in the main event of an in your house. But following Tinky's lead and Tommy's lead, I've noted down how many times. So you'll get points for each one. So obviously, if they've had one, they get one. If they've had 109, they get 109. And there's 27 in total. So we're not going to have three errors. We're going to have two. Because I feel like you boys might know your stuff here. Mm, So just a reminder, this is only WWF in your house. So that was May 95 to February 99. Let's go with you first, Tinky. 
Okay, I'm going to start by going for Diesel. Diesel, correct, for six points. Um, Brett. Brett Hart, correct, also for six points. Uh, I hadn't written him down, that's weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to go for Michaels. Shawn Michaels, correct, obviously, for eight points. Uh, Undertaker. Undertaker, correct, for ten. Oh, hello, big one, big one, that yeah. one. Yeah. Well, let's go for Austin then. Stone Bold, correct. 11. Ooh. He's obviously the highest. Mm. Um, Kane. That's got to be Kane for three points. Okay. Uh, Mankind. Mankind. Well, so we have the various forms of Yeah, Mick Foley, yeah, seems fair. So, no, no, they're separate yeah. because it's a points ranking system. I need you to be rewarded for your knowledge. So, Mankind, three points. Uh, Dude Love. Dude Love. (laughs) Two points. What am I going to go for next? British Bulldog, David Boy Smith. The British Bullshit, six. Wow. Mm. Yeah. More than I thought. Uh, Owen Hart. Owen Hart, the King of Hearts, three. So incidentally, I uh, wrote Ball God rather than Ball God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Sid. Oh, Sid. Mm. He was on my list. I think Sid might be the clincher for Tinky in terms of points. Go on, Tommy. You can still do well, this. How, I how, you how many points? Sid? Well, no, carry on. Well, carry no, on. No, I want to know. Well, <laughs> no, because it's uneven at the moment because you haven't. You're a go short. No, no, I meant how many points is Sid worth? Oh, sorry, four. Oh, okay. sorry. Um, Vader. Vader, the man called Vader, two points. So Tommy's on 26, Tinky's on 38. Oof. That feels like a lot of one and done kind of. Yeah, I know, and that's basically what I'm stuck on now. Um, I'm going to go with Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed Johnson, the man with a thousand knee pads. One. <laughs> That's so lovely. Um, I'm going to go for Brian Pillman. Brian Pilly Pillman. One. Of course. Well, we'll go Neidhart then. Uh, Jim Neand. One. Uh, Gold Dust. Gold Dust. Two. Uh, Hawk. Hawk. One. Animal then. <laughs> Animal. One. Shamrock. Shammers, two. Yeah. Oh, uh, The Rock. The Rock, unbelievably, no. Mm, what? So. Yeah, I didn't think so. He had one named after him. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't even him in the main event. Um, <laughs> Vince McMahon. Vinnie Mac, one. Yeah. Um, Triple H. Triple H, also quite unbelievably, one. Um, Savio Vega. I knew TK get that one. Savio Vega won. That's where I'm struggling now. I'm not it? surprised looking at. So we've got one, two, three, four, five left. You've done phenomenally, you lads have. Right. This is going to be a weird one. This is a massive. I can't catch up with Tinky now. I know I can't. No, you it's can. only going to be one and done, so I've lost anyway. I'm going to go f- fucking out there, though, with this one. Crush. Unfortunately wow. not. And I'll tell, I tell you why. And I'll tell you why. And I think he's going to win this. And, I, and, I've, and I've lost already. I was thinking there must have been like a Nation of Domination main event, mm-hmm. which would have involved like 
Crush versus Savio Vega versus Farouk. So Tom's still got a life left, yeah? No, I'm done. No, no, to me, he had two lives today. Okay, so I'll give you, I've got four of the five. I can't think of the last one. So we've got Cactus Jack. Yeah. Chainsaw Charlie slash Terry Funk. Yeah. And obviously Billy Gunn and Road Dog. Yeah. Oh, did they headline in your house today? No Way Out was an eight-man tag. Which was yeah. Billy Gunn, Rude Dog, Cactus Jack, and Austin against uh, yes. Triple H, Savio Vega, and the yeah. New Age Outlaws. Um, uh, the last that's a weird one, team. Well, it's because sure? Michaels was injured and they had to replace him with someone, and they basically Before had no one left. There. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I honestly can't think of the last one. So I'm going to go for who was. Oh, hang on. Hang on. There is a. It was one show. There was a six-pack challenge in the main event. Could it be someone from that match? I don't know. I honestly can't think of who, who else it would be. It's Yokozuna. Oh, oh, oh yes, of course. It was the two dudes with attitude. Yeah. Damn it, should have got that. Should have got that yeah. one. A fantastic effort by all of you. The final scores, just for the people keeping tally at home. Tom, a fantastic 31. Tinky, a slightly more fantastic 45. That was right in my wheelhouse. That was properly like covers in your house. Yeah. Pretty much just covers yeah. all of my all of my era. So it's just wonderful. Okay, so that is everything. Old man, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you very much, and thank you to everyone who's listened to me spat my juice over Valvinus for forty-one weeks and counting. But don't think about me spaffing my juice. Just remember, Kempatera. And Tom, thank you for your contributions also. Thank you very much. And thanks to Valvinus. <laughs> well, he's, he's done pretty well. He's won both of your MVPs and also right, the matches is. of the night. And uh, and also is the reason why Tom was going to give it a five out of ten rather than a four. <laughs> yeah. So he's pretty much done a lot of the heavy lifting there. We will be back next week, where, as I said, we will be covering Halloween Havoc 1998. But until then, take care.